You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. There has been an awakening. Have you felt it? You are listening to Star Wars The Saga Continues. Your hosts, Kyle Avery and Tim Jirasi, are scouring the holonet for news and bringing you all of the latest updates on the future of the Star Wars universe. And the future is bright indeed, so we invite you to join us on this exciting journey as the saga continues. Always in motion is the future. This is just the beginning. You'll find out full of surprises. Not over yet. No, there is another. Chewie, we're home. Hey there, Star Wars fans, and welcome to the episode of Star Wars The Saga Continues, the episode that we have been building up to for the past three years, following all the news and rumors and hype surrounding Star Wars The Force Awakens. It's finally out, we've finally seen it, and we are not going to waste any time jumping in, you know, jumping right in and talking all about this thing. Um, As always, I'm your host, Kyle, and I've got my co-host, Tim, with me. How's it going, Tim? Hey, Kyle. We made it. We finally made it. <laughs> uh, it still feels a little bit weird knowing that I got seven Star Wars movies to think about in my head now and uh, speculate on and just reminisce about my experience of seeing seven Star Wars movies. It's such a great feeling and uh, so glad it's finally here. And boy, <laughs> it's going to be great to talk about it in full detail. I mean, everything that happened into it because there's a lot of stuff to discuss, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just kind of going off of first reactions, like, I mean, I I love the movie, obviously, and I think I might have even enjoyed it more the second time, mm-hmm. um, because the first time there was just so much to process. And, exactly. Um, it was funny because, obviously, like, all the early reviews had been really positive, and uh, people were just saying that they loved it. Um, you know, despite what I said on our last episode about maybe wanting to stay away from reviews, like once the premiere happened and the first reactions were even going up, like on Twitter, I just couldn't help but be like, what did people think of it? Um, obviously (laughs) I didn't want to know spoilers, but, um, I was like, there's a new Star Wars movie out and I haven't seen it yet, but some people have, I need to know stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, like I said, it was all really positive right off the bat and uh people were saying like oh the star wars movie just got out and there's a lot of smiling faces coming out of the theater um but when i went to go see it i mean with the the seven o'clock opening night show in imax 3d and everything it was a a real energetic crowd you know people were cheering when the opening crawl went up and uh you know at various points throughout the movie but then as we were walking out of it when it was over, I was telling my friends, I was like, you know, I kind of feel bad for these people waiting in line for, like, the next shows because they're probably watching our faces as we're coming out right now, trying to gauge our reaction and see how <laughs> good the movie was. And nobody was, like, super happy or super excited or anything, but it wasn't because we were disappointed or because the movie was bad. It was just because 
I think more than anything, we were like emotionally drained uh, just from, uh, you know, like I said, trying to just process everything. And it was just a lot to take in. And so it wasn't like, whoa, yeah, that movie was amazing. It was just like, wow, that just happened. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, we were all just trying to let it sink in. And uh, then, like I said, the, the second time, um, you know, once that sort of initial wave of uh, everything hit me all at once. Like the, the second time I was able to kind of look for some more smaller things that I had missed the first time around and just kind of enjoy it more without having to necessarily take in everything because I already knew a lot of the stuff. So, um, but yeah, it was great. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I'll let you share just kind of your first reactions as well. And then we'll get into, you know, things we liked, things we didn't like, favorite characters, favorite moments, all that good stuff. Yeah, mine was actually going to be a little similar to yours because after it was over, I had the same reaction where, man, this was a really great Star Wars movie, but so much stuff happened to her. Like you said her best, but like how do you process all of it? And there was, as much as I enjoyed it, there were the little things that bugged me about it and I was like processing that and mixing in with all the stuff I did enjoy and the big revelations and stuff that happened in the movie. It was a really <laughs> a lot to take in. And yeah, I was saying that I went with my brother, and we didn't say that much afterwards too. <laughs> until like we got in the truck, and I drove home, and he just said, "So, what did you think?" <laughs> and then we got into everything about it. But like you said, it wasn't because I was disappointed with it or anything. But it, I knew going in that's probably what my reaction was going to be once it was over. It just saw a brand new Star Wars movie, <laughs> a Star Wars movie that four years ago I never thought would happen taking place in an era of the Star Wars universe that anything can happen. There's nothing that we're leading up to like the prequels were with Anakin becoming Darth Vader. So everything is fair game as far as what could happen and just processing all that stuff after you've seen it. It was, yeah, it was just kind of a strange experience once it it was all over and you now have another new Star Wars movie to think about. (laughs) Like I said at the beginning. So yeah, but it, it wasn't, kind of where I've kind of compared it to episode one since that was you know, the f- first big Star Wars movie to come out since Return of the Jedi that was the most hype and I still don't know what was more hype more episode one or episode seven I think that's still up for a good debate which one had the most hype but episode one was just so different than what everyone was expecting regardless if you like it or didn't like it it was a different type of Star Wars movie still Star Wars but it definitely either it, Turned, got, gave people a shock, definitely, or was some people, you know, it was different, kind of what they expected or wanted to be to be different. So, but this one was uh, different from that case. I'm saying different a lot right now, but uh, <laughs> this one was, you know, catered more towards the classic feel of A New Hope. And we'll get into, I guess, when we talk about some of our negative stuffs about it, but I think that's what Disney was going for is making sure they hit that familiar note right off the bat with this first installment to get some of those fans who maybe were turned off with the prequels back into Star Wars, letting them know it's familiar territory now. So I think that factored into my whole processing of the movie too when I first saw it. But when it came down to it, <laughs> once I left that theater, it was just a great Star Wars experience. And once you think about it more and more, because boy, did I think about that nonstop <laughs> when I got home that night. And then the next day, that's all I kept thinking about as I went shopping for the new books and the soundtracks and stuff. And later that night, just kept thinking about scenes over and over again, just being anxious to go see it. And I finally saw it again Saturday. And it was like you said, it was more, I did enjoy it more 
the second time around because like you mentioned you know what to expect now you can take things in a little better and just really focus in on the story that's being told and not seeing if your expectation is going to be met like the first time so mm-hmm. but yeah those that was pretty much my first reaction it was just great to have new star wars <laughs> that's the bottom line really it's this new era of star wars got kicked off with a bang so it's going to be an exciting next few years yeah for sure um yeah, man, and you know, I hear what you're saying about it, you know, feeling different and everything. And I mean, even for me, like the first time I saw it, I was like, man, it did, you know, it felt different, it looked different, you know, and I couldn't decide if it was like a good or a bad thing necessarily. I'm like, did they kind of miss the feel of a Star Wars movie, or is this just sort of the evolution of it? And, like, this is what the next generation of Star Wars movies is going to feel like. Um, and then, and I mean, of course, you know, it definitely did sort of nail that classic feel in certain aspects of having, you know, Han Solo and the Millennium Falcon and all this kind of stuff. But, um, you know, just you, you could tell that there was a different director behind the camera as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, uh, you know, like I said, the second time I saw it, I was like, yeah, I I, I definitely think it still fits within um, the others. You know, it, it fits within the overall saga. It just you know, given the the time difference and the difference of the people working on it, um, it is going to feel a little bit different, but at the same time, it definitely feels like Star Wars. So, um, yeah, of course, yeah, as always with these things, sometimes you just need a little bit of time to let it sink in, to process it, to, um, you know, kind of be able to view it through the lens of like, um, you know, not just taking in that first time experience and trying to process everything, but now like, okay, let's look at this within the larger context of the story as a whole and see if it does really fit. And I think it really does. Um, of course, I think we'll see that even more going forward once, um, you know, we get more of the story in episode eight. And once we find out more of sort of the, the connective tissue of, um, you know, what happens between seven and eight, what happened between six and seven, you know, learn more about the character backstories and things like that. Um, but yeah, just, I mean, uh, loved it. You know, the, the two times that I've seen it so far, can't wait to go see it again. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, let's, let's just jump in with some of the stuff specifically that we loved about it. Um, you know, just, uh, as I'm talking about it right now, I'm realizing like the, the characters and the writing for this movie were just spectacular. And I think one of the things I'm most excited about for the force awakens is um i mean obviously like i said the the reception has been so great so far it's got like a 95 percent positive rating on rotten tomatoes right now um i think like a 8.8 or 8.9 audience score on imdb or something like that um and you know I, like i'm personally so happy that we're not gonna have to put up with like the next 10 or 15 years of people nitpicking and criticizing things about this movie like they did with the prequels yeah Um, and you know again like we said there are some things that could have been better and we'll get to that and you know some people are going to have their gripes about certain things um but i'm just glad that the overall reaction was positive i'm glad that nobody's going to be complaining specifically about like the actors and the the dialogue and stuff like that um there was certainly nobody complaining about sand getting everywhere um (laughs) and just all the performances were really strong um I mean, Daisy Ridley was great. Uh, John Boyega was great. I freaking love Poe Dameron as Oscar Isaac, uh, or Oscar Isaac as Poe Dameron. Uh, the other way around, you know, I, I guess Poe Dameron could play Oscar Isaac in a movie in an alternate universe somewhere. But um, but then, I mean, for me personally, Kylo Ren, oh, uh, Adam Driver was just so incredible. 
Um, oh, by the way, uh, I'll just go ahead and slap the official spoiler warning on here uh, in case that wasn't obvious. So we're we're going to get into talking about all different aspects of the story and these characters and stuff. But, um, yeah, man, Kylo Ren, like, instantly for me, jumped up to, like, number three on my list of favorite Star Wars villains behind Darth Vader and and uh, Palpatine. Um, and he might even eventually wind up overtaking Palpatine on that list just because I think he's he's so much more flawed and just like layered and complex and uh you know conflicted and intriguing than we've ever seen from a Star Wars villain before certainly more so than Palpatine but Palpatine is just so like I mean if you think about it he's almost two-dimensional in a way because like, all he wants to do is take over the galaxy um, and wipe out the Jedi and, and gain power for himself. But at the same time, he's so, like, just deliciously evil to watch. Uh, like, I love... Yeah, you he know, enjoys <laughs> every moment being evil. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, every word that comes out of Ian McDermott's mouth as Darth Sidious and Emperor Palpatine, I just love hearing. But... Um, you know, so we, and of course we've you know seen more or less like six movies of him. Kylo Ren is just one movie so far, but in that one movie, I mean, man, he makes such a good impression. Um, and of course, now we know you know his real name is Ben Solo, um, which I thought was cool because you know it, it is kind of a, a callback to the EU where uh, Luke's son was named Ben Skywalker. Um, and, uh, you know, of course you think, oh, well, they were the ones who named their son after, uh, Ben Kenobi, but, um, that was a cool moment where Han calls out to him and, you know, calls him Ben for the first time. Cause you see Kylo walking across that bridge and then Han starts following him. And I was like, oh, he's about to say his name. What's his name going to be? What's his name? Gonna be? And I was like, if he says Jason, like this whole theater is going to explode right now. Um, <laughs> but then he said, Ben, I was like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's like something totally unexpected, but that makes perfect sense. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They would name him Ben because without Obi-Wan, none of them would ever would have come together and experienced the whole original trilogy and everything and got together. So Obi-Wan was the center character that brought everyone together in that first movie. And it's appropriate that they would honor him by naming their son Ben. So I thought that was a really great touch. Yeah. Although at the same time, it is unfortunate that uh, the character named after such a noble Jedi master um, is the one who ends up being sort of the downfall of Luke's plans to rebuild the Jedi. Um, And, you know, it's a shame (laughs) we don't get... I mean, it, it is... Maybe one thing that's disappointing for me, and it's not really a knock on the movie itself, but just kind of the way this whole thing is set up. Um, Like in the original trilogy, when Obi-Wan's talking about the Clone Wars and uh, Vader uh, turning to the dark side and betraying Anakin and all that kind of stuff, you're like, man, well, I want to see that. And then we get a whole trilogy of prequel movies that explain that in detail. Well, with Ben being seduced by Snoke and becoming Kylo Ren and killing all of Luke's Jedi and everything. That is another story where I'm like, man, I want to see that. That would be really interesting. But the last movie was episode six and this is episode seven. So I'm sure we're going to get that story explained somehow through like whether it's just uh-huh. <laughs> more explained backstory in you know future movies or whether it's through comics and novels and stuff like that but we're not going to get another prequel trilogy telling the story of how kylo ren turned to the dark side i know we need like new like uh quarterly films like 
episode six and a half, episode <laughs> yeah. six and three quarters. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to tell those stories. I had the same thing. Like, man, I want to see like prequel stories or movies just on Kylo Ren and his uh, origins and how we got seduced. Like everything you said, that's all fascinating to me now because yeah, I echo everything you say about Kylo Ren in this movie. He was my favorite character in this, and you know before we went into this how you were the big Kylo Ren fan <laughs> more so than me I always thought he looked cool but he blew me away with this I mean, he, every moment he was in I thought he stole the show in many different layers both with like the his presence of being an evil character and then at certain times being even a sympathetic character or a conflicted character someone who was like an angry teenager who throws a Force temper tantrums <laughs> in the Star Destroyer or on Starkiller Base, but yeah, this, he was like you said, it was just such a layered character with so many different emotions that got displayed throughout the course of this movie. And besides the fact that his costume just looks awesome, and we got to see more of it in a two-hour movie in that lightsaber. It looked and sounded amazing, especially whenever he did a twirl with it. I just loved how uh, that sound. Yeah. So this, Pretty much everything about the character worked. I don't think there was one weak thing about him. So, yeah, Kylo Ren, definitely, I think, the high point, for me anyway, in this movie. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and, you know, like you said, I was, I've been a fan of his from the beginning, but I just loved the design of the character and, you know, the mask and the lightsaber and everything. And I was hoping that he'd be a really good villain, but, you know, we didn't really have much to go on from the trailers and stuff. Um and so, yeah, I was really glad that they delivered on that, that he ended up being, uh, you know, my favorite character and having just such a strong performance and such a, a complex, um, you know, such a, a complex villain and something we really haven't seen before. And like you said, he was even sympathetic at times, um, like even when he kills Han Solo at the end. And but you can tell, like, even though. I'm pretty sure if you, you know, if you watch that scene, especially seeing it the second time, you can tell, like, from the beginning of that encounter, he knows he's going to kill him. But it's like he really doesn't want to. Um, and it's almost like he asks Han for his help in in killing him and, yeah. and sort of getting over that that burden or that obstacle. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it's just he's he's just fascinating to watch. Um, and, yeah, yeah, I think just stole the show. Even from the from the opening scene of the movie where, mm -hmm. you know, they attack that village on Jakku and Poe Dameron shoots the blaster bolt at him. Oh, man. And he just <laughs> freezes the freaking blaster bolt in midair. Um, I was like, what? <laughs> that um, was amazing, man. Yeah. So, th I mean, that established him right off the bat as just a really cool and really intimidating villain. And then, um, you know, as the movie progressed, they just added, you know, like we've been saying, more layers and more depth and more complexity to his character. And I was kind of surprised early on that um, they kind of dropped the dropped the bombshell i guess so early that he was han and leia's son um you know i, I was expecting that to be like a surprise twist for later if it ended up being the case um i have to say i was surprised and will fully admit you know tim you were right about the whole uh parent lineage thing as far as uh ray and kylo ren go at least we think so you know i thought yeah. ray was going to end up being um han and leia's daughter you thought she was going to end up being luke's daughter um, we don't really have a definitive answer either way yet, but at this point, I would now go back on that and bet money that she's going to end up being Luke's daughter, if anything. 
Yeah, there's a lot more signs pointing to that now. <laughs> yeah. I was surprised we didn't get that definitive answer, and I kind of, I believe it in the sub quotes JJ said after, since the movie came out, how they felt they didn't want to explain everything right away in one mm -hmm. movie, let it play out through the course of the trilogy. So, But definitely the groundwork was laid there, and the clues are, are plenty when it comes to Rey and yeah. her being Luke's daughter, which I'm hoping is the case. But going back to Kylo Ren, man, so many things I want to touch on <laughs> with him <laughs> that you were talking about. Uh, just going back to the beginning of the movie where he makes his entrance, this is one of the things that I love about when Star Wars repeats itself, how George Lucas always compared it to poetry and certain uh, stuff rhymes and there's the stanzas that are familiar. This was, I think, a perfect way to have that a new hope feel how that entered with or started with Darth Vader and the Stormtroopers attacking the Tantive Four, and Darth Vader making his presence known. And Kylo Ren, it had that same effect because he did it in a different way, but you still felt that he was a very threatening character and he really made his presence known. Even at first, just uh, killing Lord Santeca, Santeca. But then, after that was enough in itself, but then after that, seeing what he did with Poe Dameron's laser that <laughs> he blasted at him, man, that just really demonstrated his power and i just love how it was it just was just floating in there even after they took poe dameron up in his ship and once it kind of boards and it flies off then it releases and hits that tower man it was just so mm -hmm. cool an awesome display of his power and going back to what you were saying about how you were surprised it got revealed he was han solo's son that early i was surprised too and at the same time i think it worked for the better of the movie instead of playing it for the end because that's what helped me just get more fascinated with the character as we were seeing him more and more throughout the film. And one of my favorite parts is we've seen him in the trailer now a bunch of times where he's talking to Darth Vader's helmet. But since we knew that he was Han Solo's and Princess Leia's daughter before that scene, he got to say grandfather. <laughs> and he's calling mm -hmm. Darth Vader grandfather. I mean, how weird does that sound? <laughs> but it, it makes perfect sense. It just adds just more intriguing stuff to the character that just makes you makes me anyway fascinated with him and just that whole Skywalker lineage and how he's obsessed with being Darth Vader and here's what I really love about the character and what they're setting up for him in the prequel trilogy the original trilogy the main theme is Anakin Skywalker and Luke Skywalker resisting the temptation of the dark side Anakin fails Luke succeeds so what would be the next thing for these new characters to go through and with Kylo Ren it's not that he's resisting the temptation of the dark side. He's resisting the, the temptation of the light side, mm -hmm. which I find really fascinating. I think is a brilliant way to go with him and to set up the, what this character is going to go through in this trilogy. And going back to that scene with Hans, where he kills Han Solo, I just loved, loved, loved how that was set up and how it was done. It wasn't like... Uh, you're my father who never loved me and I like I hate you. I'm going to kill you right now. Like you said, he was really conflicted, but he knew what he wanted to do. But uh, that dialogue was so good. I'm torn apart inside. I don't know if I have the strength of what I need to do. Or the audience and Han Solo is thinking, oh, he doesn't know if he has the strength to give up the dark side and come and ask for help. But no, he's asking for the strength to kill his father, to embrace the dark side and get rid of the light. So... Mm -hmm. It was just so perfectly how it worked out where Han Solo says, I'll do anything for you. And I was like, okay, I have my father's permission. He said he'll do anything for me. So I have the permission to kill him and embrace the dark side. Brilliant stuff. <laughs> yeah. I was always curious how, because we speculated, I mean, 
probably in our second episode when it was talking about the original trilogy cast members coming back. I, we always said Han Solo was probably going to be the one to go, but how was he going to go? And man, it, it was done perfectly. So both by the direction of it, the acting by both Adam Driver and Harrison Ford, and the way Harrison Ford puts his hand on his face after he kills him, saying, you know, signaling, I still love you because you're my son. And uh, that doesn't break your heart. Chewie's reaction will because, oh. man, that's what got me, especially the day afterwards. That was the moment I kept thinking about over and over again, just Chewie's reaction, knowing what everything they've been through. Uh. Mm-hmm. And I was so glad Chewie got a shot in on Kylo Ren too. Like he had to get some type of retribution for losing his best friend. So this, yeah. that whole sequence was perfect. It, it was totally perfect. And one other thing I just have to point out, as far as like the visual symbolism goes, yes. um, the you know of course out as this is happening, the battle outside is happening for Starkiller Base, um, and you know of course they, they've got this massive planetary weapon that you know we had thought that the star killer base maybe it got the name because it just destroyed a star that then wiped out an entire solar system but actually what happens it drains the power from its own star or you know the the sun in its own system and that's what charges the weapon and then it just fires like this uh you know hyper light speed you know giant laser beam thing that then splits apart and like hits every planet in the system that it's targeting um which we'll talk about that in a moment i i guess i wasn't i don't know if i maybe mind the design of it so much but just sort of the introduction and the whole idea behind star killer base was you know, a, a little iffy to me that wasn't one of my favorite parts of the movie but i just have to say it was a brilliant idea just for this scene um to have it you know, draining the energy from the sun because as the this aerial battle is going on with the X-Wings and stuff and it's getting darker and darker outside, um, then, you know, Ray and Finn come in through a door, you know, from the outside. So there's an open door behind them and you can see outside and it's like as the very last light of the sun gets sucked up and it gets totally dark outside um, and and Han and Ben are having this conversation and right as the light goes away, uh, it's, it's right as... Ben is saying, um, you know, I, I don't know if I have the strength to do it. Can you help me? And then Han says, yes, anything. And he drops his helmet. He holds out his lightsaber for Han to take it. And then the light goes away and it gets darker. And you just see like a red glow on his face from some light inside the base. But it's like, you know, again, it's like the last bit of light going out inside him. Um, and it's like, you know, him him sort of severing his last ties to the light side. He's about to kill his father and uh, and go full dark side here. Um, and so, yeah, that was just, uh, I mean, it was so beautifully shot and um, lit and everything. I mean, that was, now that I think about it, that might be my favorite scene of the movie. Mm, um, yeah. <laughs> just from a, from a storytelling and, and cinematic standpoint. Um, that was, and, and you know, the performances too, obviously, I think that was, um, definitely the highlight for me of Adam Driver's performance in a movie where he's great the entire time. Um, but yeah, just his, his conversation with Han there is just so fantastic. Yep. And it, it hit me harder than I thought it was going to. Cause I, like I said, knew 
going in that Han was probably going to die. Mm-hmm. But still had the question of how. But man, once it happened, I was like, oh, man, I got a lump in my throat. And just like, <laughs> felt like I got chills during that moment. It was such a. But at the same time, it was like I said, it was done perfectly. I mean, that's the exact emotion I think they were trying to invoke when you see it. And they really <laughs> delivered on that. And another thing, too, which I liked about Adam Driver's performance was it reminded me a lot of uh, Anakin and particularly Revenge of the Sith and some of the scenes that Hayden Christensen did where just the certain tone of his voice and the way he said things reminded of of him. And it just perfectly showed that, yeah, that is Anakin Skywalker's grandson. And oh, he was, absolutely. Like, or he had like the long hair, something similar to how Anakin's was in Revenge of the Sith. So, yeah, just all around, man. <laughs> like, I agree with you. That was probably my favorite scene, too, because... I'm a sucker for those big emotional moments in Star Wars movies. Was, I a while ago I made like a, a video on YouTube where like my top five favorite Star Wars scenes out of the all six, and on there was like the immolation scene in Revenge of the Sith, uh, Darth Vader telling Luke he's his father, and Darth Vader redeeming himself by saving Luke and killing the Emperor. And if I had to make another list, this one's probably going to be on there because it fits right in that mold of. This is great, powerful, emotional Star Wars moment. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I couldn't be happier with how they pulled this, that scene off. Yeah. And then, of course, you said Chewie's reaction was great as well. And, uh, man, I just love Chewie in general in this movie. Like, yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's it's so hard for me. Like, Kylo Ren, like I said, is the standout. He's my favorite character. But then after that, I mean, it's hard to pick a favorite, even, you know, of the the new characters and the old characters. I mean, like I said, Finn and Ray and Poe and BB-8 were all amazing. Um, of course, it was so great to see Han again. But uh, Chewie, I think, uh, was a, a pretty welcome surprise. Like, I didn't expect to see that much of him featured in the story and him getting that many action scenes and everything. Um, I was super happy that we got to see him just wreck stuff with his bowcaster. Yeah, especially um, in that scene. <laughs> Oh yeah, definitely. It's like his his best friend gets killed, and like you said, he shoots Kylo Ren. Then he shoots, you know, like fifteen stormtroopers, yeah. <laughs> blows up the base, just going all Rambo up in there. Um, so awesome. Yeah, he was he was way cool. I mean, and again, like I said, I love that the bowcaster. Like we got to see him use that so much, and that it was like so powerful that it's not just like a regular blaster that just happens to be shaped like a crossbow. It's like no, this is a fitting weapon for. Uh, like a giant seven foot tall warrior um you know it's blasting people sending them flying 50 feet backwards and everything um but also i thought it was perfect for uh you know him shooting kylo ren as well because you know we had seen in the trailers uh the you know the the hints of the lightsaber fight between kylo and finn and then had speculated that he might end up having a duel with ray as well but then you know we were thinking um, you know, even if Finn is a stormtrooper who's trained to use melee weapons and can hold his own in a, in a lightsaber duel, and even if Rey has the force or if she's had some kind of training or anything like that, um, it seems fairly obvious that Kylo Ren would have had more, you know, would have spent more time than either of them, uh, training both with the force and with a lightsaber. So I'm like, even if those two know how to use a lightsaber well enough to not like chop their own arm off with it how are they going to be able to defeat kylo ren and as soon as chewie shot him i was like that's it that's the answer like that's the the equalizer sort of um is that he you know is injured from the beginning and 
man, Kylo Ren gets jacked up in this movie. Oh, yes. <laughs> like, I almost felt bad for him. He gets shot in the side by Chewie. Then he defeats Finn fairly easily in that lightsaber duel. But I did like that, I mean, Finn was able to hold his own pretty well. And he got a shot in on him. Yep. Like, he... he burned him in the shoulder or something it's like luke getting vader and the empire strikes back yeah exactly um and then of course he fights ray and she like stabs him in the other shoulder and then like cuts a piece of his cloak off and then i thought she cut his hand off at the end um but watching it a second time i don't she well she obviously didn't because uh at the end like after the fight you can see him lying on the ground and he's still got both hands on but he she might have destroyed his saber or something because it's like at the end of the fight when he's sort of holding her saber hand up in the air and she's holding his down on the ground and like pointing his saber into the snow and then she breaks her you know she gets her hand she gets her other hand loose and like slashes down at his and then his saber shuts off like i thought she had cut off his saber hand right there but i guess not um and then she gives him a big old slash across the face yeah which Um, i thought she might have decapitated him (laughs) i did too the first time i saw it because she just slashes up near his head area and you just see uh, you know, kind of a wide shot. You don't really see a lot of detail, but you see him just fall down, like, away from her. And I was like, holy crap, did she just kill him? Um, but then you see him lying there, and he's just got a, you know, nice big scar across his face. Um, and then, of course, the planet's falling apart because the Resistance has destroyed Starkiller Base, and it's collapsing, and a big crack opens between them, and Snoke tells Hux to get Kylo Ren and get out of there. So, luckily, we haven't seen the last of him. Yeah, I did get a little worried there for a second that <laughs> that was it, but pretty much all the characters, all the main characters survived in this movie, which took me by surprise too. I thought mm-hmm. I think any well, you know, with Han of course, but all the new characters I should have said. Yeah. I was expecting some of the villains to die, but all of them made it. Captain Phasma was left up in the air, but what Kathleen Kennedy said in interviews how she'll be back in episode 8, we already know, so that's not the case, so. Yeah, I was going to say if anything I would have assumed that she died because uh, you know, presumably they threw her into a trash compactor somewhere and then yeah. <laughs> the planet blew up. So you're thinking, oh, she was probably still in there when it blew up. But yeah, no, we know that she's going to be in episode eight. So um, oh, and I just have to say real quick, one of the stupidest things I've read so far since the movie has come out. Um, I was reading an article on one website. They were talking about sort of the history of Harrison Ford's relationship with the Han Solo character and why he wanted Han to be killed off and all that kind of stuff. And they're like, you know, now he's finally got his wish, but you never know. They could find some way to pull him back in the future movies as a ghost or something like that. Uh. And you know what I'm thinking? I'm like, Han's, you know, they're talking about Han Solo coming back as a force ghost. And I'm thinking, that's not how the force works. Uh, That's so great. have that line to use now (laughs) i can't wait to use that in real life Uh, that's what makes this death a lot more harder to take than all the others like from obi-wan and yoda this is it for han he's we're not going to see him again we're not going to hear his voice come through the forest or see him as the forest goes this is it i mean maybe Mm -hmm. ray will have like a, a dream or vision where he's not alive but you know in her mind he's talking to her giving her advice or something like that but as far as like coming back and physically uh, or spiritually like the Jedi do talking to someone again that's he's not coming back Han's gone for good so this is what hits <laughs> makes it hit hard, a lot harder than any of the other deaths that we've seen so far in Star Wars pretty much just him and Padme are the ones who will never be coming back mm-hmm. yeah all the main characters anyway mm-hmm. um, and a lot of the Jedi that got killed in you know Order 66 and whatever that hadn't learned the path to immortality yeah, but, but... 
Um, yeah, because we had Qui-Gon, we had uh, Obi-Wan, Yoda, and Anakin too, so they've all come back, and those are some of the more like big deaths that happened throughout the saga. So, mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I mean, I think this has got to be, you know, I, I was going to say maybe the most emotional death of the whole series, but at least, you know, right up there with, like, Vader, because, um, uh, I mean, you know, when you're watching... Um, the end of return of the jedi and you see luke burning his father's body i mean that's a pretty emotional moment for me just like thinking back on the whole saga up to that point and seeing uh you know it's like that was the little slave boy on tatooine and then the jedi hero and then the the sith lord and now he's you know finally being laid to rest um but you know (laughs) now his helmet is sitting in kylo ren's quarters well yeah (laughs) (laughs) but um i mean you know you think of some of the other ones like qui-gon and obi-wan and yoda um yeah, I, I think Han kind of tops all of those. I mean, it is, I was going to say the most shocking, but at the same time, like you said, it's not really a shock for a lot of us who saw that coming. But at the same time, just the way it happened, I mean, it was definitely, uh, you know, sort of dark and emotional, um, but, you know, great storytelling at the same time. Yeah, that's more than others. I mean, the more the days pass by, other scenes and moments I think about, that one still comes back to me. I think. There hasn't been a day so far since Thursday night where I haven't thought about that moment, whatever what the two characters say, the reaction from Chewie, just have it all plays out. And mm-hmm. I mean, we, I do gotta give props too for uh, Daisy Ridley's reaction <laughs> to that too. She did a great job of just showing her distress of once that happened. But, mm-hmm. but Chewie stole the show after that. You kind of forget about Ray and Finn's reaction to that death. But they did a great job also in that moment. Yeah. Well, even Ray's reaction was kind of similar to Luke watching Obi Wan get killed yeah. in uh, A New Hope. Um, but maybe even more emotional because like up to that point, it almost like Ray and Han have almost grown even a little bit closer, I think, than Luke and Obi-Wan had, um, in A New Hope. Um, even though, you know, Obi-Wan was starting to teach Luke about the force and everything, but you could see there was a, a special connection between Ray and Han. And this is why I'm thinking there's still maybe a slight chance that she could end up being, you know, a daughter that Han and Leia never knew they had or something like that because when they're like obviously she knows the Falcon like the back of her hand and yet she says she's never flown it before um and you know she and Han are like finishing each other's sentences and she's telling him how to fix stuff on the Falcon and all that um and like on the one hand part of me is going oh well she's Luke's daughter and that is you know that's nine-year-old pod racer whiz kid Anakin showing through in her um, and just, you know, her her prowess for machinery and, like, she can understand BB-8 the first time she ever meets him and all that kind of stuff. Um, but at the same time, I'm like, I get that she's good with ships and machinery and stuff, but the Falcon in particular, she is, like, she, you know, she's got a connection to this ship somehow. Um, See, I kind of took that as what you were saying being like the young Anakin, but at the same time too, I think she probably worked on that ship a lot um, through the the junk shop owner, or not Watto, but you know mm-hmm. the salvage uh, scavenger who was played by Simon Pegg. By yeah. the way, <laughs> we know what his uh, mystery role was. Yes, I just think she probably wor- worked on that ship, tried to get it back up, and that's how she knew it was uh, it was garbage. <laughs> that was such a great <laughs> moment when they were running up, like it's garbage. Yeah, but that's how I kind of, at least I took it where she has the. Skywalker, like family, uh, talent of being like good with mechanics and ships, but at the same time being familiar with it because she's tried to fix it up and worked on it, but not necessarily flying it throughout uh, her years on there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then of course you know you see like Han and or Han offers her you know a job on his crew and everything, so so they had a, a special connection there as well. But um, 
yeah, no. I mean, obviously, we've we've spent a bunch of time so far talking about Kylo Ren and Han and sort of the end of the movie. But I'm like, I kind of feel like we should back up to the beginning and talk yeah. about <laughs> the hero characters and not just the the main villain and all the sad stuff that happened. Um, but yeah, I mean, the whole the whole opening sequence and the first maybe half hour or hour or so um, really was. Um, I mean, just like super exciting. Like I love the whole movie, but especially just that sort of the the first handful of scenes or whatever, um, introducing yeah. all the characters and showing like some of the first action and uh, Finn and Poe escaping from the Star Destroyer and everything. I mean, that stuff was like so much fun. And I think that was out of all of it to me, that was what all felt like the most classic Star Wars. Um, and like I said, I love all those characters. Um, I mean, Daisy Ridley just does, uh, you know, such a great job as Ray. And of course, we see, um, you know, all the stuff that she goes through throughout the course of the movie. You know, discovering that she has the Force and everything. Um, I absolutely love like the bromance that uh, Finn and Poe Dameron have going <laughs> on. Uh, it's funny because from the trailers and stuff, I thought that, you know, I thought there might even be a little bit more tension between Me the too. two of them, yeah. especially when. At the beginning, like, it's Poe Dameron who shoots the stormtrooper that then kind of makes Finn freak out and decide he doesn't want to be part of the First Order. Um, So I thought, I mean, I don't know if he just freaked out, like, seeing one of his, you know, comrades get killed and it just suddenly became all real for him. Like, oh, crap, I could die out here. Um, But I was kind of expecting to find out that there was some more history there. Like, maybe that was his brother or his friend or something like that. Um, and that maybe he was going to like hold a grudge against Poe Dameron for killing that person, but then at the same time maybe be grateful to him for sort of waking him up to you know not wanting to be part of that lifestyle or something. Um, but no, they just like hit it off right from the get go, and it's Poe Dameron who decides like FN two one eight seven. I'm not calling you that. I'm going to call you Finn. Is that all right with yeah. you? He's like, yeah, that's cool. Um, also, I love too, like even at the very beginning when he gets captured by Kylo Ren and uh, the stormtroopers bring. Poe before Kylo and Kylo just kind of kneels down and looks at him and uh, Poe's like so who talks first you talk first I talk first like you know (laughs) sort of breaking the ice in this awkward moment where he's uh, you know facing down the big scary villain Um, and so yeah they just had like such like an easy chemistry and just such a a fun dynamic there so um, you know it's like I I just uh, I don't yeah I I don't know if I can say I like Poe Dameron more than Ray and Finn just because the two of them obviously had so much more depth to their characters. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, you know, Poe Dameron, again, you could almost say he's like a two-dimensional character because he doesn't really have a lot of depth and a lot of growth over the course of the movie. But I don't really care because he's just such a fun character and exactly. like a guy that you would just want to hang out with. And like you, I could just watch him whooping and hollering and shooting down TIE fighters all day. Yeah, pretty much agree with everything you said. <laughs> the beginning of this movie was awesome. I mean, if I could go back to the very beginning, how awesome or weird was it seeing the opening crawl with the words "Episode Seven: The Force Awakens"? Oh, man. oh dude, I was I was shaking. <laughs> yeah, like because I saw it in IMAX, and uh, it's like once all the previews finish, then they do like this countdown thing where it starts as like an old movie reel, but then it becomes like you know these big 3d like digital numbers counting down and you hear like the imax surround sound system kicking in and everything and as that was counting down i'm like 
holy crap, it's becoming real. Like, I'm about to see a new Star Wars movie. It's coming, it's coming. And then, you know, the Lucasfilm logo comes up. Like, literally, like, my legs were shaking. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I can't believe this is about to happen. Um, and then, you know, just the, the music and the opening crawl and everything. I mean, it was just... And, of course, everybody in the theater went crazy. And it was, uh, you know, it, it was everything we thought it would be. Yeah, I started getting that feeling when the Captain America Civil War trailer was playing because I knew that was going to be the last one. That's it's a Disney movie. It's they're going to be their next biggest movie after Star Wars. So that would figure would be their last. So once that was going, I was like, "Oh man, it's it's coming next. A new Star Wars movie is coming next." So, now, was that the last trailer for you? Yep, it was. Oh, see, I had the same feeling, and because uh, I went and saw it with my dad and a few friends that night, and but I was sitting next to my dad, and like halfway through the Civil War trailer, I leaned over to him and I was like, "Star Wars is coming after this. Like, this is the last one." And I was getting so excited, and then they showed the trailer for the Jungle Book after that, and I was uh, like, okay. "Oh, you guys are killing me." <laughs> yeah, I didn't get that one, but I guess in this case, it would have been cool to see. But in this case, yeah, Star Wars had to come faster, so <laughs> I was definitely glad Civil War was the last one when I thought it was. Yeah. Well, actually, did you see it in 3D? No. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think that they might only be showing that trailer in, like, the 3D screenings or the okay. IMAX 3D or something, because that was the last one for me on Thursday night, but then I saw it yesterday morning, and uh, I saw it in 2D, and I think for that one, I know they didn't show the Jungle Book trailer, and I think the Civil War trailer might have been the last trailer that we saw for that one. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. I know sometimes they have at least. I remember when the first uh, Force Awakens trailer came out, and I couldn't see it anywhere, like with the Hobbit or anything. But I heard from you and other people with the three D ones. So oh yeah, I guess Jungle Book's kind of a similar case. But anyway, back to the Force Awakens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. What was so great about this movie? I mean, the biggest strength of this movie is the characters, and I was actually talking about this with uh, Paul, where we're kind of comparing the, the movies and talking about like with the prequels and stuff. And I said, this one is probably, its greatest strength is its characters and not the story. Mm-hmm. Where I think with the prequels, that's greatest strength is its stories and not necessarily with its characters. But with this one, yeah, every moment the character gets introduced, you automatically like fall in love with them, <laughs> knowing that they're going to be great characters that you're going to want to follow throughout the course of this trilogy. I mean, Poe Dameron makes a cool impression on you with, like you said, the humor that he had and even taking out those stormtroopers and his X-Wings, and then with his blaster and the Jack Crew sequence there was really cool. And then with Finn, I mean, just seeing his reaction in that helmet, I mean, <laughs> you saw the emotion in his face behind that helmet, even though you couldn't see his face. That's how he was reacting to everything that was going on. And I agree with you with the whole sequence where him and uh, Finn and Poe escaped uh, the Star Destroyer. That was a great sequence. I will say, one of my nitpicks when I first saw it, I thought maybe Finn came to the realization too quick that he had to get Poe Dameron out of there I was kind of expecting one more scene with him where he realizes he has to get out of here now and leave the first order but once I saw it again I kind of felt "Eh, I guess it works a little better knowing how everything happens beforehand and how we would go to Poe to get him out of there and before going into it I was always thinking like you how there was going to be a little more tension between them and maybe not getting along I thought it was going to be Poe getting like convincing Finn to leave like Hey, I saw you out in that battlefield. I, I know you're not a like typical stormtrooper. You, like, there's good in you. You know this isn't right. Help me get out of here and set things right. And Finn kind of reluctantly agrees, but no, but knows that is the right thing to do. But it was the exact opposite, where Finn goes in and convinces or gets Poe to escape with him. So that took me for by surprise, but it definitely worked. And that whole sequence I thought was really great. Like you said, the chemistry between them as they were in that Tie Fighter was really cool. And 
that leads kind of to my only other nitpick regarding Poe Dameron, where he's gone for a good portion of the movie. That kind of lessens him as far as being... He still is one of the main new characters. We refer to uh, Poe, Ray, and Finn as the new big three of this trilogy, but I felt he wasn't quite up there in this movie because he was gone for a long period of time. And plus, the three of them, I don't believe, have like a single scene together where they're all either in the same shot or talking together. They're we're never together in one scene in the movie, which I felt mm-hmm. that kind of plays into it where they're not necessarily up there as like the big three just yet. I think uh, Adam or Kylo Ren takes the place of Poe Dameron as the big, as like one of the three main characters, except he's the bad guy. So, yeah, no, I definitely like, I don't think Ray and Poe Dameron even have any scenes together. Yeah. Um, yeah which, right. which is interesting because I think we had heard some rumors, you know, early on that like there was going to sort of be like a love triangle going on where, um, Finn and Ray kind of maybe had feelings for each other, but then Ray also kind of had a crush on this, you know, handsome, charming, hotshot resistance pilot. Um, but they never even meet each other. So, yeah, it was like Han Solo would give him a hard time, something like that. I remember reading, <laughs> mm-hmm. but yeah, none of them ever had a, a scene where all three of them were together, which was kind of disappointing for me. But still, I guess for the story, it, nothing that really hurts it. And like I said, it'd be a minor nitpick, but yeah, the introductions to all the characters were great. And yeah, I guess moving on to Ray. I mean, the first shot we see of her is one that we saw in the first trailer where she just she's in her scavenger outfit in the Star Destroyer. And that was a perfect way to start that trailer and a perfect way to be introduced to the character and seeing her go through that Star Destroyer pretty much the same the day in the life of Ray on Jakku, her day of work and scavenging, going back to trade it in for some rations, going back home to her AT-AT, which looked awesome. I mean, I've been waiting to see that <laughs> on screen for so long after that concept art. I wish we got a little more of it in of her inside there, but what we saw, it looked awesome. So, yeah, the introductions to all these characters were great, and like I said before, it just makes you really get invested in them and fall in love with the characters right away, so force awakens knocked it out of the park with their main characters that they had to introduce yeah so i think that was their number one priority to get people to invest in these characters and they accomplished that and now with the next two i think we're going to get more uh unique stories than what we've seen before in uh the star wars saga and that with these new characters in them i think we're just set up to see some amazing stuff in the future yeah definitely i mean i've been having that same conversation with some people earlier on twitter today too that um, yeah, I do think the prequels, particularly episodes two and three, I think they have stronger storylines than The Force Awakens. Um, and, you know, I think George had a lot of great story ideas in those movies that maybe didn't get, you know, executed as well as they could have, either because of, um, you know, the writing or the acting or whatever. Um, but obviously, yeah, I, I think the prequels were definitely flawed movies but also very ambitious movies that you know had some great ideas that could have worked better um and i do think with the force awakens they they played it kind of safe um and didn't go too huge in terms of like new ideas or anything but i think the stuff they did do they executed very very well um and you know like you said that the characters are definitely the strength of it the only characters i would say maybe were um weak points were you know some of the villains other than kylo ren 
um, like General Hux and Captain Phasma, um, and Supreme Leader Snoke to a degree, but at the same time, I feel like Snoke is one of those characters where we didn't see much of him, but we weren't really supposed to, like, they're obviously saving more of his story for later down the line, um, whereas Hux and Phasma felt like they could have been used a little bit better or developed a little bit more, um, especially, like, I want to know more about Hux and and his motivations and things because when he gives that speech at Starkiller base about how they're gonna you know wipe out the Republic and then uh, you know they fire the weapon and you know take out a whole star system I mean as you watch the look on his face as he's watching that beam go up like he almost seems a little bit conflicted or sad or something mm-hmm. where he's like man like I'm about to kill billions of people. Like, am I a monster? Like, no, I'm doing the right thing for the galaxy. But, I mean, I can't tell if that was supposed to be the intention or if, you know, if I'm just sort of reading into it because, you know, I want to believe that nobody would be that evil that they could just push a button and, you know, kill, like, six planets worth of people at once. Um, But we don't really get to know enough about his character one way or the other to really find out much of the, you know, I, I think the only real character development we get for him is knowing that, um, a, he's kind of young and ambitious and, you know, wants to, to please Supreme Leader Snoke. And then also, um, he kind of has a rivalry kind of thing going on with Kylo Ren where, um, like, like he and Kylo definitely kind of seem like, obviously I don't think they're related within the story, but they kind of have the dynamic of like, brothers who don't really get along but are both trying to please their father mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> i like that rivalry between them too it was yeah. a small portion of the movie but you definitely felt that <laughs> they both wanted to outdo uh one another and make the other look bad whenever they had the opportunity to mm-hmm. but since you alluded to it already kyle i'll get my biggest disappointment out of the way which of course is captain phasma <laughs> Oh man, was I disappointed <laughs> with that? Wait, I knew going in she was gonna have a big role in it, but man, this was beyond small. I mean, everyone always says like she was gonna be the new Boba Fett, and how Darth Maul was grossly underused in the Phantom Menace. Well, Captain Phasma takes the cake from all of them as far as <laughs> being the most underused character that was hyped up before. I mean, she didn't even have one action scene. She didn't fire her blaster at just once nothing i mean her presence was cool she looked awesome she sounded awesome i just wanted to see more of her and have her display why she's so intimidating and someone to be feared i mean she, all she needed was one cool action moment and i thought we were going to get that on the attack of masconata's castle because we saw that vanity fair image of her amongst the rubble of the castle but she was nowhere to be found in that scene. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, did we even see her in that scene in the movie? I don't remember seeing her. Nope. I kept thinking to myself, this action sequence can't end yet because we haven't seen Captain Phasma. And I know mm-hmm. she's in there, but it never happened. And when we were doing the Thundercrack Roundtable spoiler cast for it, uh, Michael Cohen brought a, out a great point that I really wish would have happened. She should have been that stormtrooper who fought Finn with the lightsaber. Her first- oh, Yeah. His first battle with the lightsaber, how awesome would it have been if it was Phasma, the officer he took orders from, and now that's going to be his first test with using the lightsaber was to take out Phasma. And it could have all played out the same way. He could have lost, and then she would have got blasted with that crossbow, and but then maybe show up later and showing that it would take more to defeat her. So, mm-hmm. yeah, once Mike said that, I was like, ah, that needed to happen. That would have been so awesome. And it would have given her that one cool action moment that she would have needed, and I would have been completely fine, but... Yeah, she was 
grossly underused, I'm afraid, in this movie. I, I'm almost to the point to say that she was a pointless character, which going in, I never would have thought of. But the only saving grace is we know she's going to be in episode eight from what Kathleen Kennedy said. So not all hope is lost. I'm not mm-hmm. getting rid of my Captain Phasma t-shirts or <laughs> <laughs> toys or anything like that. So I'm hoping for redemption in episode eight. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I think... She, uh, I kind of compare her almost in a way to like Nebula from Guardians of the Galaxy, where they're both two really cool looking female villains that then once we saw the movie ended up not having that big of a part to play, but it seems like they could play a bigger role in episode eight. Um, especially now that we know, you know, cat's out of the bag, like Ray is the new Jedi hero, Finn is. You know, we know he was able to use the lightsaber for that one fight, but going forward, I mean, I'm not sure where they're going to take his story, but I don't think we're going to see him fighting anybody with a lightsaber again anytime soon. Um, so I think maybe in episode eight, they'll develop, you know, they'll go further into his story about trying to, uh, like, he, he'll probably still be on the run from the First Order. Um, and, you know, maybe, like, eventually, maybe we will get to see him have a showdown with Phasma, um, and maybe she'll be hunting him. Of course, she'll be out for revenge, you know, having yeah. had Han, you know, Han and Finn throw her down a garbage chute. <laughs> I just um, hope her armor was still pretty much remained intact, because I'd hate for that to get totally ruined. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm sure it will be. Um, but also, like, even at that scene where they captured her at the end, and they were, like, forcing her to lower the shield around Starkiller base... Um, I mean, that almost seemed too easy. Like, I thought that yeah. was going to kind of be Phasma's moment to try to one-up them. Not Like, I didn't even necessarily expect her to have an action scene, but I was like, you put her at this big computer console that's got the power to, like, override the shields to the base. I'm sure she could just as easily use that to, like, set a trap or bring a bunch of troopers to that location or something. Um, and so when it was, like you know, well, okay, the shields are down, and she's like, you've made a big mistake, and you're going to pay for this, and, you know, he's like, what should we do with her? You got a garbage chute? Trash compactor? And it was kind of just played for laughs, and I was yeah. like, oh, really? She's not going to, like, get a moment to try to get back at them or something? Well, okay, get you know, back to Kylo Ren, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I was kind of expecting, too, like, um, do you honestly think I was going to intentionally lower the shields? I've just alerted a battalion of stormtroopers to come and <laughs> take you guys out. Something like that to mess with them or turn the tables. But yeah, nothing, which was very disappointing. <laughs> yeah. So I got to hold off for another year and a half to hopefully get some more awesome stuff with Captain Phasma. Yeah. But then again, I mean, the movie was packed enough as it was. I mean, there are a few situations where I feel like they could have expanded on things. Like I said, at the beginning with uh, Finn, when that stormtrooper gets killed, um, I think there could have been, you know, a, a little bit more of a subplot there where that is, you know, someone that he's close to. And that's a reason why um, it freaks him out so much. But um, I mean, we know, like J.J. Abrams said in an interview that um, they cut like 20 minutes of footage from the movie or something like that. Um, and so it definitely feels in some parts like it could have been longer and I'm looking forward to getting, you know, the Blu-ray either, like, I don't know if they'll do like a director's cut or extended edition or just have like, hopefully a lot of deleted scenes as extras on the Blu-ray. Um, and you know, can't wait to see what else could have been. Apparently there was also a moment where, um, I think his name's Unkar Plutt, like the, the junk dealer that Ray works for on Jakku, who's played by Simon Pegg. Um, there was a scene that was, at least it's in the book and uh, i don't know if they filmed it or not but people are speculating that like this might have been a scene that got cut where that guy tracks the millennium falcon to maz Kanata's palace and so then he confronts ray about it in 
you know, the, the bar, whatever that they go mm. to there. Um, and then Chewie comes to defend Ray and actually tears this guy's arm out of his socket. Oh, really? <laughs> I'm like, man, I want to see that. Um, yeah, that would have been cool. <laughs> yeah. Especially knowing what a jerk that guy was. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. And the fact that Simon Pegg played him, you know, how much he badmouths the prequels, that would have been pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so, I mean, that would have been cool to see. But um, I will say maybe one other small nitpick I have regarding that guy and the Millennium Falcon and everything. Um, again, I had talked in detail so much before, you know, when I was – uh, you know, trying to support my theory of why I thought Ray was going to end up being Han and Leia's daughter because she's on this backwater desert planet and then just happens to have the Millennium Falcon there. Um, and, you know, I thought somebody had left it there for her, but no, it's like she ends up there for whatever reason that we don't really know yet. And in the meantime, Han still has the Falcon. Then it gets stolen from him by some scoundrel who gets it stolen by a pirate, who gets it stolen by a smuggler, who gets it stolen by a junk dealer. And it just happens to end up on Jakku. And I'm I'm still not quite sure if it's like, man, that's the will of the force and it's really powerful or if like that's just a really big convenient coincidence. <laughs> Maybe a little of both, but yeah. <laughs> I tend to think it's the Will of Force. It knows that Ray's going to have to get off that planet somehow. What better ship than the Falcon? That's her uncle, or not, yeah, her uncle and her father used to travel on so many times. So, yeah, I attribute it to mm-hmm. the Will of the Force. <laughs> yeah, which, by the way, it was cool, you know, just when you say her uncle and her father traveling together. Um, of course, we're assuming that, that Luke's her father, but, um, man, I just love those scenes where Han is talking about sort of the old days and, oh, man, uh, yeah. you know, talking about the people who... And it's funny because you can tell he's still kind of playing his cards a little close to the chest, like when he's talking about what happened to Luke, and he says, the people who know him best think he went looking for the first Jedi Temple, and yeah. you can tell, like, well he was one of the people who knew him best. Um, but, you know, when he's just like, yeah, I knew him. Um, and, you know, he's talking about the the old days and the force and the dark side and the Jedi and everything. Um, but then also I love when they get on the Falcon and uh, Ray's like, this is the Millennium Falcon. This is the ship that made the Kessel run in 14 parsecs. Oh, yeah. And he's like, 12. <laughs> and then he, as he gets in the cockpit, he's kind of grumpy. He's like, 14 parsecs. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I got to say, too, I guess let's go on to the talking about the falcon because hey, that's a character in the movie too but mm-hmm. <laughs> every moment with the falcon i thought was great starting off with what i alluded to earlier ray calling it garbage and then they end up going on there and that chaku the chaku the jaku chase with the tie fighters was really cool i mean they showed a lot of it in the trailers but when you see it as a whole it played out for a really cool sequence and i'm sure that was one of the big highlights of seeing it on, on imax oh yeah that was so great um, I was kind of surprised that there were still only two TIE fighters that whole time. Like, we, I, ex- I was going to say, I actually liked it because it kind of showed that these TIE fighter pilots are more competent than what we've seen in the Empire. Because they well, actually did true. a really good job of pursuing the Falcon as much as they could. And they didn't get taken out in any stupid way, like crashing into something because the Falcon outmaneuvered it. No, they got blasted by Finn, who had a hard time shooting him down, too. Mm-hmm. So I like that aspect. Yeah, I guess I was maybe a little disappointed that the uh, the gun turrets on the Falcon sounded different. Um, they did, yeah. but at the same time, I'm like, well, I can kind of buy that because we know how much the Falcon gets, you know, changed and upgraded and everything over the years. I mean, obviously, we see it's got a new radar dish um, from Return of the Jedi. Um, also, you know, it's still the same ship in a lot of ways. We still see it's got the Dejeric table, and uh, Finn even pulls out like a Jedi training remote that's lying around at some point. Mm, yeah. Which <laughs> now I have to wonder. I'm like, is that the same one that Luke was using, and like, just nobody ever bothered to take it off the Falcon? I think so. Yeah, because yeah, I'm like, why else would it? You know, why would there 
be one on there. I mean, I guess Luke could have used another one at some point to, I mean, maybe he was training some other Jedi on there or something. Just, but Just from the filmmaking standpoint, you know that was, that was what they were going for when Finn picked it up. He kind of looked at yeah. it a little curiously and just threw it off, but enough for the fans to know, oh, that's the training remote Luke used. So that yeah. was cool. I guess and, I didn't even really pick up on that the first time. I mean, obviously I recognized what it was, but I didn't think like... Just because I'm like, so much has happened since then, I, it didn't cross my mind that that would have been the exact same one. And then I was like, yeah, I guess maybe if somebody just left it in a box somewhere and never got moved. Yep. <laughs> but I love the whole, even when after that action sequence, the interaction with Ray, Finn, and BB-8 afterwards, and they were trying to stop that gas from coming out. That was probably one of the funniest parts in the movie, mm-hmm. seeing Finn trying to convince Ray that he's with the resistance trying to or convince BB-8 to go along with the story and <laughs> BB-8 gives him the little thumbs up with oh, the blowtorch <laughs> I got the biggest laugh in the theater it's so oh, awesome yeah. <laughs> so every, yeah every moment on the Falcon was great and then yeah, the entrance with Han and Chewie at least when I saw it still the biggest cheer moment of the film once uh, they entered in there and he says the now classic line Chewie we're home so, just great and then what stuff you alluded to with them uh, Han talking about Luke and saying how he knew him or the people that knew him best knew that he was going to the Je- looking for the first Jedi temple. And the stuff we've heard in the trailer about the Force, the Jedi, the dark side being real. So much great stuff in there. Just like kind of didn't want that moment to end as he was mm-hmm. talking to them. So pretty much every moment on the Falcon was great, both from a comedy level, entertaining level and a story standpoint, too, of getting back familiar with the character of Han Solo who we haven't seen in over 30 years so yeah it was great when he returned and they had that conversation on the Falcon and really brought us back home <laughs> to Star Wars that we haven't seen since 1983 it was awesome yeah definitely um and man I mean just in general like this is easily like the funniest Star Wars movie mm-hmm. um yep. definitely the I mean the original trilogy had humor but it wasn't like uh, th- there weren't a whole lot of like laugh out loud funny moments um and it could just be that you know i've grown up watching those movies all my life i'm sure there was some stuff that was funnier the first time you see it than you know the the 25th time you see it but um still i mean there was you know just a whole lot of jokes and one-liners and stuff and then of course in the prequels they kind of go for more um slapstick yeah more more stuff that stands out as like comedic relief like with jar jar obviously in the first movie and you know it was a lot more hit or miss um but the stuff in this movie was all uh i mean it was great and none of it stood out as being like too silly or anything i think the first time i watched it um i mean i loved all the jokes and all the the one-liners and everything but in the back of my mind i was maybe going like is this a little too much comedy like each individual joke i'm loving but then when you think about all of it as a whole it's like star wars has never been like this funny before but at the same time i think i mean especially seeing it the second time i think it worked because so much of it was between uh finn and poe and bb8 and so and you know han solo had a lot of it too but it's like it wasn't necessarily out of place for any characters like if they brought luke and leia back and they were cracking jokes it would have been like oh well this is out of place for these characters but when you bring in new characters and it you know it works for those characters i thought that was great um and also of course it helps to offset the darker tone a little bit in a movie where uh one of everybody's favorite characters gets killed and the bad guys you know nuke a whole solar system so Mm -hmm. um i i thought it was a, a good balance of um you know, light and dark. It's just they they go they kind of go to like both you know the way to the ends of like both extremes of the scale in terms of uh, the light tone and the dark tone. Um, but yeah, I mean the 
you know, with some of the lines we've talked about already between Finn and Poe and, you know, BB-8 doing his thumbs up thing with the lighter. And, um, I mean, Han had so many great lines too. Like I said, the, when they, when they're trying to break into Starkiller base and, uh, Finn has been telling them like, oh yeah, I used to work there and I know the layout and everything. And so then they get there and Han's like, so what did you do at this base? Uh, and he's like, sanitation. He's like, sanitation. We, you know, we're, everybody's counting on us. The galaxy is counting on us. He's like, you know, solo chill out. Like, We'll we'll find a way in. We'll make this work. We'll use the force. That's not how the force works. <laughs> and then Chewie in the background. Oh, we're cold. <laughs> oh you're cold. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was great. Yeah, I mean, yeah, pretty much. Finn and uh, it's a testament to John Boyega's acting. Like he had great chemistry with everyone he was with. We talked about him and Poe, mm-hmm. but then him and Ray too were great when they first meet. It was it was a more like somber moment when he tells them about you know Poe Dameron and then BB-8 gets all sad. But then I I like the little t- two or like more funny moments between them where she like he grabs her hand and he's like you don't need to grab my hand. <laughs> I, <don't laughs> I know how to run. And then that the second time he's like does this, this any place have a blaster and he grabs her hand again like stop grabbing my hand. <laughs> yeah. Then this vision too when the Han and their smuggler ships track get them in the tractor beam and he's like jumping over the controls of the falcon puts her his hand over her head and she gives him like that looks like oh. <laughs> so that was great and then him his, his chemistry with han solo too was fantastic also i mean the way that he just calls him solo and he's like what did you just call me uh, sorry han mr solo <laughs> sir uh what are we gonna do and then he calls him big han solo calls him big deal oh, yeah. <laughs> Castle. yeah so all that interaction that finn had with his character was great so that that's the comedy stuff that worked i mean You've alluded to how, especially episode one, was more of the slapstick type, goofy humor, which a lot of people didn't like, and I'm not necessarily a big fan of it either. But this is where you know the Star Wars humor is at its best, I think. And I did hear some criticisms too that it's a little too much. But I think once you see it again, like you said, it it's probably just an initial thing where you weren't expecting it, and once you see it again and you know it's coming, it's really not that bad, and it doesn't hurt the movie at all. So, mm-hmm. yeah, overall, the comedy, I think, was the strong part of the movie. Yeah, and even, I mean, they managed to get a couple of funny moments in with Kylo Ren as well, which, I mean, that was maybe one of the things that made me think, like, is this a little too much? Because, you know, we never had any jokes or anything with uh, with Darth Vader or Darth Maul or anything like that. Um, but I, I think it still kind of worked with him being definitely a, a younger villain and one who's more sort of rough around the edges. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see he's, I mean, he's similar to Darth Vader in the way that, you know, somebody comes and gives him bad news, he's going to get angry. But instead of taking it out on that person and just killing them and moving on to the next person, like he throws a freaking temper tantrum and doesn't kill his officers, but he'll just like turn on his lightsaber and just start trashing stuff. Um, And, you know, early in the movie when one of his officers comes and says uh, that BB-8 escaped Jakku um, and he just like tears up a console and then, you know, he's standing there just like breathing real hard, all angry. The guy behind him is like terrified and then he just kind of turns over his shoulder and goes anything else um yeah <laughs> and it was one of those moments where you know everybody like laughed at first but then the guy says uh oh and there was a girl with them and kylo immediately like that's the moment where he reaches out his hand grabs the guy by the neck like pulls him in and is like what girl um yeah. and so that's what like i can't wait to find out more about his and ray's relationship too um because like i don't think ray knows him I mean, obviously she does now, like having fought him at the end and everything, but I mean, I get the feeling that, um, 
you know, obviously there's a big secret going on here with Ray, and I think it's that she's Luke's daughter, but you know, we're we're not completely sure yet. Um, but it's it's one of those things where like everybody seems to be in on it besides her. Um, like when Han and Leia talk about her, you can tell like there's something else going on there, especially Han, like when he sees her interacting with the Falcon and, uh, when he, you know, learns her name and that she grew up on Jakku and everything, um, you know, it's almost like, I wonder if this is the girl who dot, 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 or like, I wonder if this could be Luke's daughter or something. Um, and like I said, obviously Kylo Ren, like, I think he knows exactly who she is. Now, the question is whether or not Ray knows how important she is because, it seems like she doesn't, but at the same time, um, at the beginning when she finds BB-8 and she's asking him, like, you know, who are you and where are you from? And then she's like, classified? Oh, me too. Big secret. Um, so it's like how much of this, you know, for the rest of the movie, how much of her obliviousness and her, uh, you know, sort of innocence, like how much of that is real and how much of that is her trying to protect her own secret? Mm-hmm. Um, because also something I picked up on the second time when Kylo Ren is interrogating her and trying to use the force to like read her mind and find that last piece of the map to, to Luke Skywalker. Scene, <laughs> um, and he says, you know, I see, uh, you know, I, I see that you've been dreaming about it at night and you see the oceans and the Island. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, she's been dreaming about where Luke is. Um, and I'm like, is that because she's been there? Is that because, uh, I mean, obviously I think it's, it's a force kind of thing. Um, I, I think the force is showing her more than she actually knows, um, if that makes sense. Like it's, it's showing her images, but why is it showing these images to her of all people? Like there's obviously some big connection between her and Luke Skywalker for the force to be showing her visions of where he is. And those, those visions aren't necessarily like a clue because she doesn't know the exact location, but it's just like, she's been dreaming about him and where he is. And, uh, you know, it's like whether she knows it or not, I think there's definitely a big connection there. Yeah, totally. That moment you talked about where Kylo Ren grabbed the officer when he mentioned that girl and that just set off, okay, that is to me to establish, okay, Kylo Ren knows who she is, but what is their relationship going to be? And I'm ready to find out in this movie, but <laughs> yeah. we didn't get the answer, but man, we've got a lot of great moments trying to figure out and put together the pieces of the puzzle, but yeah, like I mentioned, that scene between Kylo Ren and Rey as she's captive, I love that moment where they do that force mind battle with each other. And just the looks on their faces, they sold it so well. I mean, at first, this is a testament to Daisy Ridley and how great she was in it. But Kylo Ren's trying to probe her mind with the force. It's She's in pain. You see her start crying. But then eventually she starts fighting back, which was awesome. And the dialogue that Kylo Ren said there too, like you mentioned it too about the island, the ocean. And I think too, he said that that's what you dream about. And it's more than just a dream. It's kind of like the dream in the, within the forest vision, kind of maybe showing her the future, but yet that's what she's longing for too, at the same time, which to me leads more credence to the theory that Luke is indeed her father. And in that moment too, Kylo Ren mentions how she thinks Han Solo is the father she never had. And just the whole father theme is in that moment when he's reading into her mind. So it's all playing in together where the fact that Luke may end up being her father. But then 
like I said, Ray starts fighting back and Kylo Ren starts getting a little afraid and she senses her, his fear and she has one of the best lines in the movie where she goes, you're afraid, you're afraid you're never going to be as strong as Darth Vader and Kylo Ren just freaks out. Kind yeah. Of like, okay, I got to go talk to Snoke now. I'll, I'll come yeah. back to you. That was so awesome. Yeah. And then, of course, that's followed up by, uh, you know, the scene where she learns to use a Jedi mind trick. Um on Daniel Craig, of all people, who yeah. apparently had a cameo as that stormtrooper, where she's like, uh, you know, you will release these restraints and leave with the door open. And, you know, she finally gets him to do it. And then, and drop your weapon, and I'll drop my weapon. Yeah. <laughs> now, I'm curious, did you, because I've heard a little mixed responses on that sequence where some people are having a hard time taking, believing that she was able to use the Force in that way so soon when she's had no training at all. Did that bother you at all when you saw that? Well... I mean, maybe a little bit, but not really. And again, that's just more evidence to me that she is the daughter of Luke Skywalker and the descendant of Anakin Skywalker. Mm -hmm. um, it's like, I, I don't think it's completely out of the realm of possibility that she could be picking up on these Force powers so quickly. But if she is, she obviously is someone very powerful in the force yeah um and even you know kylo ren even says that to snoke um you know he says she's strong in the force like stronger than she even knows um and then as she's escaping from Starkiller base he says you know he just tells his troops like she's just beginning to discover her powers and the longer she goes uncaptured the more dangerous she's going to become because she's just going to discover more and more things um and so i'm wondering even if she maybe like at a young age maybe had already started training as a jedi and that maybe you know when she was sent away to jakku that maybe i don't know if you know maybe luke used the force to like suppress some of those memories or something that's what i'm um, thinking too i mean i've heard that I, like i don't know if i necessarily believe that but i've heard that theory from a lot of people and it's certainly something that could be a possibility um and you know also like regardless i i think yeah i think she's definitely very powerful and again like i said i that just makes me believe she has to be connected to the skywalker family somehow um because it would kind of just be a, a real big coincidence if um she just happened to be a, a super powerful jedi who came from somewhere else i mean it could be possible but i think it would be much stronger storytelling if she were the one to you know carry on and continue the the skywalker family legacy here um especially seeing you know her and uh ben solo you know being sort of opposite sides of the same coin kind of thing mm -hmm. yeah i agree it definitely would make for a much better story if she is part of the skywalker line because i don't know it would be kind of strange to think there's another family out there who's as strong as with the force as the skywalkers like i don't know about that that's what makes the skywalker special and she's displaying that type of power like you alluded to and kylo ren even alluded to so i did kind of think uh, it didn't really bother me, but it did cross my mind. Man, she, she's really powerful with the Force. She's catching on really quick. Because, But I, it was better that she failed two times beforehand before she was able to get it right. And again, another good point that Mike brought out on the Thunderquack podcast, a uh, spoiler video live chat, where we're talking about that sequence and a point he brought out that I thought could really make that work where why she's so strong with it was that she just, like, right away when she... She believes in the force and trusts it. And she gave mm. the, the line that I love that makes sense where Yoda says, do or do not, there is no try. And in those first two instances, 
she looks like she was trying like okay let me try to use a jedi mind trick i was i've heard about and heard stories of but on that third time you see that look on her face where you know she just believes in it and she's just gonna do it and that's when it works so when he said that like you know what that's a really good point (laughs) where she's really in taking in yoda's words that he said do or do not there's no try more so than we saw with luke she's Maybe that's what makes her special. She just truly believes in it and knows that she can do it once she does, and that's how she's able to get out of it. So I thought that was an interesting take and one that I really kind of latched onto to make that moment a little more believable and why she would be able to use the Force this well already. And I think, too, they did a good job with the lightsaber battle, too, where she didn't dominate Kylo Ren. She did look like the way she was thrusting it, where she didn't have experience that much with a lightsaber, even though she was still able to succeed. Because that moment happened again, where she just trusted in the Force. Once uh, Kylo Ren had her almost against that cliff and said, "You need tr- like let me train you," and that's you know she started accepting it and able to take him out. So uh, mm-hmm. that's how I'm kind of basing my least <laughs> thoughts until it gets further explained on how Ray is able to tap into the force and be so strong in it already so right now it's not necessarily a thing that bothers me i think it works overall with the story they're telling with her yeah i think that's a very good point like i mean i think it's a combination of those two things that she is just naturally strong in it and that she's willing to just believe in it and and uh you know kind of submit to it um and also yeah i mean that's a good point with the the saber duel at the end like the first time i watched it i actually thought that was kind of a little bit cheesy at the end where, um, you know, Kylo says, like, you need a teacher. I'll show you how to use the Force. And she's just kind of like, oh, yeah, the Force. And, you know, the her, like, her eyes light up and the music plays. And it's just like, oh, right, I can use that. And it's like, what the heck have you been doing this whole time? Like, <laughs> you've never used a lightsaber before in your life and you haven't gotten your head chopped off. It. Like, you must have been using the Force already. Um, but then watching it the second time, I'm like, no, I don't really think she was because... If you watch, like, the first part of her fight with Kylo Ren up to that point, I think Finn actually did a, you know, a better job of handling himself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, even though he ultimately ends up losing that fight and getting wounded pretty badly, um, you know, he, he handles himself pretty well. You know, like we saw, like I said, we, we've seen that he has been trained to use melee weapons. That's apparently a thing for stormtroopers these days. Um, and, but he's more aggressive going after Kylo, like Kylo wounds him, he wounds him right back. Um, and ultimately Kylo just overpowers him though. And so Ray, I mean, she's able to, um, you know, stay in the fight longer and not get injured. But like for the first half of that fight, she's really just like dodging and running away for a long time. Um, and you know, almost looks, I don't want to say weak, but like, she definitely is overmatched, but she's not, like, rushing in to, you know, she's not, like, striking at him. She's, you know, swinging a couple blows, but then it's, like, block, 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 duck, jump over a tree, run back a few steps. Um, and then once, you know, once Kylo has her pushed back against that edge and, you know, says that thing about, uh, you know, I'll show you the force, and she's like, oh, yeah, I can use the force. And then that's when she starts pushing back and uh, and you know, overpowering him. But at the same time, I still don't think she, like, I think it would have been at least evenly matched, or I think Kylo still would have had the upper hand, like, even if she had been using the Force, if he was at his full strength. Yeah. But at this point, like I said, I mean, he's, he's kind of just tired out. I'm sure he's emotionally drained from having just killed his father, but he's also been wounded in the side, uh, not just by a blaster bolt, but by, you know, we saw how powerful that bowcaster was. 
Um, (laughs) But obviously, like, I still think that must have just been, you know, kind of a a weak, like, grazing blow uh, that just kind of wounded him in the side. Because obviously, if it had hit him square in the chest, it should have sent him flying backwards into that chasm, just like it did with the stormtrooper that Finn was was fighting. Um, But nonetheless, I mean, he was injured, he was bleeding, and then Finn had given him, you know, a little wound in the shoulder as well. So, um, you know, by this point, I think his his strength definitely was not... uh, you know, he he was not fighting at full strength here. So, um, and I'm sure this won't be the last time we see these two characters uh, come to blows either. Um, and so I can't wait to see what that looks like when both of them are at full power. Because also, you know, Snoke tells uh, General Hux, he says, bring Kylo Ren to me like it's time for me to complete his training or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. So, you know, presumably the next time we see them clash, you know, with... Kylo Ren having trained more under Snoke and Rey having trained more under Luke, um, they'll both be more powerful. And uh, man, I just can't wait to see what that's going to look like because, I mean, they talked about with the the fights in this movie how they were going for something more, um, kind of more like the style of the fights in the original trilogy where it's not as flashy as the prequels. Um, and, you know, it's it's more sort of raw and rough and just like big hack and slash kind of thing because these are... You know, like, all three of these fighters are relatively untrained. I mean, you know, Kylo Ren, like I said, is going to be, like, the most powerful Force user and the most well-trained out of the three of them. But still, uh, you know, he's not a full Sith Lord. He was never a Jedi Knight. Um, you know, it, it's it's a different era, and this definitely is not, like, Duel of the Fates or, or anything like that, where it's all finely choreographed and everything. Um, but I did really like that style. I mean, it, it definitely felt more raw and emotional and not quite as flashy but I look forward to seeing um you know maybe like the next time whether it's like in episode eight or nine the next time we have a big duel between Rey and Kylo Ren um I want to see it be kind of somewhere in between the two um you know keeping elements of what they had in this fight because I thought it worked really well I thought the the visual setting was just fantastic um, and like I said, there was just like a real raw emotional energy to the fighting style. Um, but if you could also elevate that and, you know, sort of incorporate a little bit more choreography and finesse and everything, you know, once we see that these two have both become more powerful and trained more and everything, um, that's going to be something really cool to see. Yeah, totally agree. And man, this lightsaber fight was awesome. Everything I was hoping it would be. And I'm so glad they pretty much kept everything from this fight out of the trailers and out of the TV spots. Some little few shots here and there popped up the week of release in certain TV spots, but that's when I stayed away from it. So pretty much everything I saw from this fight was from the first time. And man, I absolutely loved it. Everything about it, how you described the raw uh, energy of everyone participating in the fight and how it wasn't solely so fine tuned, but still an, an emotional fight from all the characters, which is what I loved about it. I mean, and the scenery too. I said this, I think from the first time that teaser came out and Kylo Ren igniting his lightsaber, which unfortunately didn't make the actual final cut of the movie, which was a little disappointing because that's become such an iconic like image now of Kylo Ren of him igniting that lightsaber for the first time, at least for us to see it. But yeah, the way it started to where uh, uh, Kylo Ren is uh, saying like, I'm not done with, or we're not finished yet. And, Ray just calls him a monster and he force pushes her into those trees and then like Ray's like okay or Finn is all I've had enough of you you killed Han Solo you hurt Ray like <laughs> I'm, it's time to put an end to you or 
when he ignites that lightsaber and then the look on Kylo Ren's face where he's all like, that belongs to me. <laughs> Almost like, you have no right to hold that lightsaber. That's mine. That's my grandfather's, my uncle's. And then Finn had a great line. He was like, you want it? Come and get it. <laughs> and then yeah. boom, they go at it. It was such a great fight. Seeing the trees get chopped down as they're dodging swings and uh, from the blades. Uh, so good. And the, we finally saw how the cross uh, guard came into play when Kylo Ren had Finn against a tree and he just inches that cross guard closer and nicks him on the shoulder and to get him out of there. But another thing I like too, visually, whenever they had a close-up shot where like both both of their blades are clashed against each other and their faces are like moved closer and the sh- camera is really zoomed in, the visual of it just looks so great. The colors with the blue and the red, the night and the snow falling in the forest, oh, I just loved it. Visually, it was mm-hmm. amazing to look at. That's what I was hoping for. Like One of the big things in this new trilogy, establishing new stuff that we're familiar with. Lightsabers are a standard in Star Wars movies, or lightsaber fights, I should say. We come to expect them, but we come to expect them to be different every time we see a new fight, and this one delivered on that. I just loved it. Everything about it, the atmosphere, the tension, the fighting style, the way it... And then, that's what, we had two cool lightsaber battles in this one sequence. The way Ray took that lightsaber once Finn, or Kylo Ren defeated Finn, and it's stuck in the snow. We got that great moment where he's trying to force pull it out of there, and he's having trouble. And you're like, okay, why is he having trouble? He, he should be able to get it out there, no problem, despite his injuries. And then when you finally see it comes out and it goes to Ray, man, that's such a great moment. That that was another one that got a pretty big cheer yeah. in my audience when we saw it for the first time. And just a great way to cap off her arc throughout the whole film that we've seen so far, from her time on Jakku, on the Falcon, and then her time in Mascanada's castle, which we still got to talk about because there's some big stuff in there. But then into mm. that moment where she finally takes that lightsaber. And again, like, leading into the idea that I think she is Luke Skywalker's daughter, the idea of that lightsaber passing down from generation to generation, from Anakin to Luke, and then Kylo Ren thinks it should be his, but nope, it's going to go to the direct line, I think, of <laughs> the Skywalker family tree, which is Luke's daughter. And the fact that she's able to pull that away from him was such a great moment. So yeah, that's definitely up there as one of my favorite moments of the movie. And it definitely delivered <laughs> as far as getting hyped up and excited about it. It did not disappoint. So glad I saw everything for the first time in that fight while in the actual movie and not any trailers. So mm-hmm. All around, it was perfectly done, I thought. Yeah, I mean, it does kind of make me wish we hadn't seen that leaked concept art of Ray holding the saber because that was, you know, now because yeah. because of that, it's like it was something I was looking for the entire time, but still it was nice to, like, not have any confirmation other than that, you know, not have that be spoiled in the trailers or anything like that. Um, Unless you saw a leaked toy image. <laughs> well, <laughs> like, that you know, too. A few weeks ago. Yeah. Um yeah, and now that I think about it, like, if I hadn't seen that concept art image way back when and I had seen that action figure picture, I actually probably would have been pretty mad that they, you know, spoiled that that close. It was funny because, like, I guess Disney was trying to sue the person who put that picture on Facebook. And, like, I, you know, they got their Facebook account suspended for, like, three days or something. And I'm like, it's unfortunate that that got leaked out that soon, but they found it on the rack at Walmart and... You know, the the figure wasn't supposed to be out in stores that soon, but that's in no way, like, the fault of the person taking the picture. Like, if it's out in the public like that, like, blame Walmart for putting it out early, you know, get get that employee (laughs) fired or something like that. But, I mean, it's not the fan's fault. 
I know exactly. Yeah, <laughs> he shouldn't get blamed for that. But I forgot too. Harrison Ford opened his mouth <laughs> like when they were doing that Twitter Q and A. Oh, that's true. And someone asked them, "What's your favorite moment?" The saber fight between Kylo Ren and Rey. So, <laughs> so the, I guess that in the end, when you think back on it, the leak concept art image was a good way to get us prepared that long ago and not <laughs> avoid. Yeah, those it's like I'm glad I knew it from the beginning and didn't have it spoiled right at the end there. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, yeah, that was such just such a great sequence. Um, and then, like you said, with that scene in Maz's castle too, where um, she hears the lightsaber calling to her, yes. um, and goes and touches it, and uh, you know sees the vision. And again, this is another thing that you know, if she's not Luke's daughter, then why would Luke's lightsaber be calling out to her through the Force? Yeah, and um, especially in a little girl's voice, which you know was hers when she was little, crying to her parents, like not to leave. Yeah. So yeah, and all that stuff just makes so much sense for it not to be uh, Luke's daughter. Yeah, it's like if she's not Luke's daughter, she at least has to be like her parents have to be some very important characters that we haven't met yet. And obviously, you know, probably like they were probably Jedi. They probably were training with Luke or something like that. But um, I just have to believe that there's a family connection there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so then I mean, she takes the lightsaber. We see. The uh, I mean, the first thing we see is the hallway on Bespin where Luke and Vader oh, were fighting. Man, so cool. um, and, and you hear Darth Vader breathing. Oh, yeah, and then you hear Yoda talking about the Force and saying, uh, you know, its energy surrounds us and binds us. Um, and then I don't remember exactly what the whole sequence is of things that you see there. but And you obviously see that shot of the Knights of Ren. You see Kylo stabbing somebody. Um, you see... Um, Luke, you know, that shot that we had seen from the trailers where Luke has his hand on R2, um, and then you see Rey on Jakku with a ship taking off, and, you know, she's a little girl, and she's screaming like, no, don't leave, come back. Um, And then you actually see, you know, sort of a a premonition, I guess you could say, of that snowy forest and Kylo Ren coming at her with the lightsaber. Um, And then you hear a voice, which I need to go back and see this again i mean for multiple reasons just because it's awesome and i want to see it again anyways but this is one of the things i want to try to pick up on um or there's a line at the end that says uh ray these are your first steps um and i i heard that line the last time i watched it but what i didn't catch on is that that's supposed to be obi-wan um and actually james james arnold taylor had recorded that line and then they re-recorded it with ewan mcgregor but then also the (laughs) The so when he says these are your first steps, that's you and McGregor. But when he's just when he says the name Ray at the beginning, that's actually Alec Guinness. Um, and they had like taken his audio from one of the earlier Star Wars movies where he says, uh, he just says the word afraid, and they kind of edited that and cut it so that he just says Ray. Um, and again, I'll have to go back and listen to it again, but I'm wondering if it's like the line from A New Hope where he says, Art, where he sees R2 and says, Come here, my little friend, don't be afraid. Mm-hmm. Um, that yeah, was like the call. that was the only thing I could think of. I was like, when does Obi Wan say afraid? Like Yoda says it a lot, but I couldn't think of when Obi Wan said it until just that part. Um, so yeah, that's definitely something I want to go back and and listen for. But it makes me wonder: is that the only time we're going to hear Obi Wan, or will maybe I don't think his so. is, is his <laughs> sort of force presence going to be brought back in in Episode Eight once we see? Uh, Ray and Luke together on this, uh, you know, this ancient Jedi temple or wherever that Luke is. Yeah, man, I'm getting. I was pretty excited to learn about that. I was Obi Wan's voice, and the fact that it was Ewan McGregor mixed in with a edited version of Alec Guinness is 
voice of him, an earlier movie is just awesome. I love that they did that and the fact that they asked you in and he did it. So so cool. But when I saw it for the first time, I was just, I guess, so entranced and engrossed in the visual aspect of that that I missed Yoda and I missed uh, Obi-Wan. And, but when I saw the second time, I, I picked up on it. But I only heard the line, Ray. I didn't hear, like, these are your first steps. I, I don't know why I missed that, too. It's, but. it's very faint. It's almost a whisper. Um, okay. Like, and like I said, I picked up on the line, but I couldn't identify the voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were talking about that afterwards, you know, uh, me and my friends who I saw it with. And we were wondering, you know, we were kind of discussing, like, do we think that was Luke? Was it maybe Obi-Wan? Was it Kylo Ren? Was it somebody else? Um and so, you know, now that we know that's supposed to be Obi-Wan, I'm definitely going to look for that the next time I go see it. Yeah, but it got me excited for the possibilities of the future of these characters because it's in the moment, like you said, how maybe it was a premonition of her battle with Kylo Ren in the snow because he says that once that sequence happens where he sees Kylo Ren in the snow. And so maybe that's another part of it where... And the fact that he says he's taking your first steps. I mean, it could be to the that very moment where she picked up the lightsaber and that's her first step. But I also think it could be later on where in episode eight, if we see her training with Luke and eventually we get an appearance by Obi-Wan as a force spirit, maybe by Yoda. And then what I'm really hoping for, Anakin, you know, complete the trifecta of force ghosts. (laughs) Maybe not in all one moment in episode eight, but at different aspects of the film, which would be really cool. So I think it's a little, uh, I don't know, a little tease of what's to hopefully come next in episode eight. Because also too, I've been flipping through the, visual art book that came out uh, the day after and i haven't read all the details on it but from the early concept stages they were fooling around with the possibility of anakin coming back as a force ghost they were Hmm. concept art images of that they had some pretty crazy theories or ideas because one of them was that he would come back as a force ghost but then as luke would see him he'd slowly like transform into darth vader again and you see like a force ghost darth vader with a jedi hood over his helmet It looked awesome, but it's not really going to fly from a story aspect, especially now what we know about Force Spirits and how they work and all that. So. Yeah. But just the the fact that they were contemplating that idea early on, I think it's something they're going to follow up on. And, you know, we've heard those Hayden Christensen rumors uh, early on the, in, during the summer, I believe. But there's a lot more stuff leading to the idea that we may see some Force Ghosts pop up in Episode Eight, and that would be awesome. But going back to this whole vision that ray had i just loved it it was one of the, another one of my favorite moments of the movie to see a forced vision like this something we've never seen before and i just loved how every scene was cut together and how it transitioned into another moment like with luke touching r2 then to the moment with the knights of ren uh, it was just so perfect the fact again too that it is luke's lightsaber that triggered all this <laughs> Again, it has she has to be Luke's daughter. There's just too much legacy in that lightsaber for that to have that, an effect on just any random person who's force sensitive. So there's definitely, I think, more to it than that. Mm-hmm. But just from the way JJ directed and all played out, I loved it so much. I mean, that's probably why I missed so much of it the first time I saw it. As far as the audio, I'm just entranced with it visually, it was something I'd never seen before. With Star Wars and Force Vision, so I just loved it so much. <laughs> I can't wait for when it comes on Blu-ray and just watch that whole uh, sequence play out in slow motion. <laughs> just mm-hmm. have a pause it frame by frame because I'm sure there's so much more that we haven't even noticed yet, and we will later on as we see it a bunch of times. But it was just such a beautiful scene to take in when you're watching it. Yeah. Well, you know, okay, so a couple things I just thought of as you were talking about that scene, and 
I'm wondering, like, for one thing, obviously the first time I watched it, I was like, okay, this is sort of like her Dagobah cave moment. Um, but then I'm like, it all it almost seems like it's a little bit more similar to uh, Anakin and the vision he has on Mortis. Um, just in the sense that it's like a bunch Very of different true, yeah. scenes. Even though with Anakin, all his visions were of the future. Um, and with Ray, it's like mostly visions of the past and then one vision of the future. But still, just the way that, you know, they're hearing voices and seeing a bunch of different scenes flash together. It was much more sort of done in that style. Um, but then also, I'm wondering if that was a force vision or if um, I'm wondering if she maybe has like the same power as Quinlan Voss, you know, the thing that he mm. can do where he like touches an object and can see the history of it. And I'm like, maybe that's something that Ray can do and that it wasn't necessarily like the force just presenting her a vision, but that she touches the lightsaber and then just sort of, sort of saw, you know, not through the force, like giving it to her, but through her own sort of. You know, it was like a force power that she was using that she didn't realize that she had. Uh, you know, she was like sort of seeing a, a brief history of like all the, the major events surrounding the history of this lightsaber. Now, I still think it, it was at least somewhat, you know, inspired by like the force giving her a vision because obviously it was calling out to her in the first mm -hmm. place. She wasn't just like, oh, let me pick this up and try to read it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was definitely it was one of those things that was like new and cool and similar enough to what we'd seen before that you knew what was going on. I mean, like I said, obviously sort of the first instinct is like, oh, it's like another Dagobah cave kind of moment. Um, but at the same time, um, it's like, you know, we haven't seen anything completely like that before. And uh, I mean, it was it was just, you know, really well done and really cool. Yeah. And then again, more evidence to I think for me anyway, about her being Luke's daughter, kind of what Maz Kanata says to her afterwards, how she starts explaining the force to her and how I'm trying to remember the exact line, but she says to her how you already know the truth. The family you wait for is not coming back and Ray starts crying, but she says, I'm trying to think of what it was exactly, but how what you seek is in front of you type thing, not in the past, kind of leading more to the point where she knows she seeks her family more than anything. And that's not behind her. It's in the future. It's in front of mm -hmm. her now, which again leads to Luke and her quest to find him. So it's little things like that, the evidence is starting to pile up. <laughs> yeah, well, see, that was one thing that maybe made me question it a little bit because I think she really? says, well, she says something like, you know, you know that the family you're waiting for is not coming back, um, but then she says like the belonging you seek is not behind but it's ahead okay, and and then ray says like oh luke like she realizes that maz is talking about luke skywalker but i don't know if she meant um you know if that's supposed to be meaning like you know luke is your family but instead of waiting for him to come to you you have to go to him or if she was saying you know you're waiting for your parents to come back and they're not coming but you can find you know, that same sense of belonging that you're looking for if you go to Luke and he'll train you as a Jedi and he'll sort of take you in and give you that sense of belonging that your parents can't give you because they're gone. Um, and so I'm, I'm not really sure which one of those they were going for there. Um, but I think, I, I still think there's strong enough evidence um, that I, I think she's Luke's daughter, especially if we just sort of jump ahead to the very last scene where she climbs up that mountain and finds Luke there at the very end. Um, I think that was some very good acting by Daisy Ridley and Mark Hamill just, oh, yes. just in their facial expressions, because obviously, I mean, it's a real brief scene. They don't say anything to each other. 
Um, but she pulls out his lightsaber and hands it to him, um, or doesn't even hand it to him because he doesn't take it, but she holds it out to him. Um, and her, both you, you see both of their facial expressions kind of change. Um, hers is sort of like, when she first sees him, it, it's just sort of this, maybe, you know, this mysterious kind of like, oh, here's this mythical Luke Skywalker Jedi figure. Like, I finally found him. He's real. Like, this is cool. And Luke is like, you know, who is this girl that's found me all the way up here? Um, and then she pulls the lightsaber out and and holds it out. And there's suddenly, like, a subtle change in his face that turns to, like, this emotional look of recognition. And I don't think it's just a look of, like, oh, somebody brought, found my old lightsaber and brought it to me. Like, I think when he sees that she has his saber, I think he recognizes, um, you know, oh, this is my daughter. And at, at the same time, her eyes kind of go wide, like, whoa, wait a second. Like, do I know this guy? Or like, I think, you know, there's something important going on here other than me just finding a Jedi master. Like, this guy is important to me some other way. And, you know, maybe she even realizes that it's her father. But um, I, I think... I think there was definitely an intention there for there to be some nonverbal storytelling going on. And yet at the same time, it's still just vague enough that it's still going to leave people guessing and speculating about it until we see episode eight. Now, hopefully this is something that'll get answered within like the first 10 minutes of episode eight. Um, you know, you'll see Ray and Luke training together and, uh, he's going to be like, hey, that was a good lightsaber training session. And she'll be like, thanks, Dad. And we'll all be like, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, imagine if it's that simple. Like, after all that time, <laughs> speculating is one like passing line of dialogue where we get the answer. But yeah, since we're talking about that final scene, man, how great was it, though? Jeez, what a way to end a Star Wars movie. And to go back, where remember when we first heard that rumor it was from making star wars where saying you know luke's might only be in it the very last shot of the movie and i was like no that's impossible that's not gonna happen they wouldn't build up having the big three return for the movie and one of them the one possibly the most character everyone everyone wants to see real bad is luke and he's only gonna be in the last shot not have any dialogue i don't think so there's gonna be a lot of fans who would be upset once they walk out of that theater and find out luke was only in it for like the last 20 seconds but i was first of all i was wrong about <laughs> that not being the case that exactly was the case and then i'm wrong too where the reaction for it has been at least from what i've seen the exact opposite of what i thought it would be because everyone talks about how what's such a great way to end the movie and i'm not mm -hmm. seeing disappointment at all that luke is only in it for the last 20 seconds or so because the way the story builds up from the very beginning. I mean, the first words in the opening crawl is Luke Skywalker has vanished. Yeah. In the course of the movie, everyone's trying to figure out where he is and what happened to him. Why did he leave? And what's he doing right now? And that makes for such a great payoff at the very end of the movie when she finally finds Luke and we see him. And boy, <laughs> his appearance did not disappoint as short as it was. I mean, the... Just when you see him from the behind and he has the Jedi robes on, you're ready to get a big grin on your face and like, ah, oh, there's Luke Skywalker. And then he turns around and you can still see a little bit of his face under the hood. And I kind of thought to myself, oh, is he not going to take the hood off or we're not going to actually see his face and his beard and everything? But then once he lifts his arms up and how awesome did his robotic hand look mm -hmm. <laughs> taking off that hood. I love the fact that he's gone away from having that fake skin to cover it. He just embraced that robotic side of him, and he removes that hood, and he has that look on his face. 
And like you said, too, not right away, but when she pulls out that lightsaber and she's holding it out, his face gets real emotional. There's two shots. Like, it cuts to him, then it cuts to her. And then when it cuts back to him for the final close-up of Luke, that look he has, like you said, it was almost very... It was very emotional and a very sad look. More so than just, oh, you found my lightsaber, my father's lightsaber. It's, it's like something more has returned to him again, which I'm assuming is going to be his daughter he hasn't seen in over 10 years. And she's found his lightsaber. Like every aspect of those emotions are coming to him. And I don't think he necessarily sheds a tear in that shot, but it looks like he was going to if it stayed on mm-hmm. him a few more seconds. Yeah, no, the first time I saw it, I thought I saw a tear running down his face. But the second time, I didn't see that. But his eye, it, it did look like maybe, he, you know, tears were welling up in his eyes. Yeah. Uh, and like you said, her face, too, it was almost like this was what I've been waiting for. Like the family I've been waiting for is right here. Now, whether that's literally or in a figurative stance, tense for her when she realizes that her family's gone and this is her new family now. But I think it is in the literal sense where she found her father that in the family she's been looking for waiting for this whole time so uh, such a good moment and of course what sells it even more so the awesome music i mean the lead up yeah dude like as as you're talking about all this i'm just sitting here and i'm hearing the music playing in yeah. my head and i'm like <laughs> i want to go listen to that track again right now yeah the jedi steps uh the build-up is so good and that was actually one of the first few pieces of new music we heard because that was in the one of the tv spots the very uh-huh. early ones that happened a few months ago so to hear it then worked really good, but then it transitioned to the classic force theme, which uh, <laughs> that was another emotional moment seeing that sequence. Just seeing Luke for the first time and you hear that force theme music, so good. And I love how this movie and Revenge of the Sith are the only one that ends with that classic force theme. And then it goes into the credits. That's my favorite ending music cue is when it's the force theme and then it goes into the classic you know i love that transition it's so good Uh, that was a perfect way to end the movie so i'll raise my hand in (laughs) admitting my mistake and that thinking it would be a huge uh, disappointment of luke only being in it for the very last shot and not having the same effect as it would if he was in the old movie and be disappointed for fans it totally worked it's a great way to end the story they established from the beginning and i'm sure it'll even have more of an effect when you see episode eight and nine and just how it was the perfect way to reintroduce luke skywalker into the sequel trilogy because you got to think too other main characters at least from the saga standpoint not necessarily release standpoint if someone's watching it for the first time and they end on episode three you would probably think oh, where's Yoda, where's Palpatine in episode four? So mm. not all the main characters have to have a big role in like the first movie of the next trilogy that starts off. Yeah, that's so a good point. It makes sense that Luke would have a small role here, and then we'll see him, of course, in episode eight and hopefully episode nine. But boy, that was a perfect ending. Yeah, I mean, and I like I love the the look of him too, even like the, not just the costume, but also um, I was surprised that he had kind of longer hair. Mm-hmm. Um and I was like, whoa, he looks, you know, kind of more like Anakin even. Like, yeah. we knew he was going to have the beard, but I don't think we'd ever seen him with his hair that long. So that was cool to see. Um, and also, you know, it's funny. Yeah, you're talking about how we were, you know, we heard those rumors and thought, like, nah, that couldn't be true. But I think in the back of my mind, like, the whole time, as soon as we heard that, I was like, oh, crap, that's probably what they're going to do. But I really didn't want that to be the case. Mm-hmm. So I was trying to, like, talk myself out of it. But then, like, yeah, like you said, it totally worked. Um 
and even um, I know like J.J. Abrams and Lawrence Kasdan and Michael Arndt sat down and like did a Q and A um, maybe like yesterday, the day before. But it was kind of like you know once the movie was out um, and they kind of addressed some more uh, spoilery you know specific questions about the story and everything. Um, and one of the things you know they talked about Luke and just how you know they had written different drafts of the script where he was in the story more and it was just like every scene he was in he totally took over and they wanted to have more time to uh, you know introduce the new characters and uh, give Han Solo the spotlight one more time before he left and uh, you know then you know the the last moment is um, you know bringing Luke in and now obviously we can assume he's going to have a much bigger role in episode eight and like you said hopefully into episode nine because um, hopefully they don't just make it a recurring theme of this new trilogy where every movie a, a classic character gets killed off. Yeah, um, if he does an eight for this or general Leia, better watch out in episode nine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, which, by the way, I think Leia is the the one other main returning character that we haven't talked about yet. Yeah. Um, be- before we move on to Leia, though, I want to ask you one more thing about Luke, and I got a theory that I want to share. But when Han Solo says the reason why he left and went away because the Jedi Order he tried to reestablish got wiped out by Kylo Ren. Did you like that reasoning, or were you kind of hoping for one of the other rumors that we've heard over the last few years of how maybe he sensed a great power and threat coming, so he went to seclusion to try to meditate and get stronger, or the fact that he became so powerful he had to put himself in isolation to control himself and that type of thing. So were you happy with the decision they made as far as why he left? I was happy with it. Now, again, you know, this is something else that we still don't have all the answers on yet. Um, because when you said, you know, obviously, like, the, the explanation that's given in the movie is just that, um, you know, Snoke turns Ben Solo to the dark side. Um, and as Kylo Ren, he kills all the Jedi that Luke is training. Um, and just that Luke feel, feels responsible and feels guilty and just goes into exile. Um, but then you, you know, what you just mentioned about Luke sensing some great threat and going into hiding to try to meditate or try to get answers on how to defeat it. Well, that could be Snoke as well. Um, you know, Luke could like, if, uh, if Kylo Ren, you know, wipes out all his Jedi, um, and he feels responsible and, you know, wants to just sort of walk away from it all, he could, you know, it, it could be not necessarily just a thing where like, oh, I'm sad, I'm going to go into exile and just sit here, but it could be like, okay, I need to sort of reassess and think like, where did things go wrong and yeah. how can I fix this? And then, you know, maybe while like investigating on his own, maybe he discovered that Supreme Leader Snoke was the one who turned uh, Kylo to the dark side and that, you know, maybe now he needs to find some way to defeat him. And I mean, we could talk about this a little bit too. Because obviously the uh, the Plagueis theory is still out there that Snoke could be Darth Plagueis. And if Luke, like, if that's true, and if Luke found that out and discovers, like, oh, this was the Sith Master of Emperor Palpatine who took over the whole galaxy, like, and, you know, you see how much of a hard time, like, Luke and Vader had defeating Palpatine in the original trilogy. And now he's like, and this is somebody who's even more powerful, like, who trained that guy and who Palpatine thought he had killed, and then it turns out that this guy found the secret to immortality, like, yeah, that would be something where you would need to go find some ancient Jedi secrets on a lost planet to be able to defeat him, because that's somebody that, you know, you could stab him through the chest with a lightsaber and be like, I don't know if he's dead yet. Yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah, that's the great point too. I didn't really think about it on that aspect, but it would make sense. But the theory that I came up with, or if, first off, when I heard it, I didn't know how I felt about it right away when Han said that. I was like, oh, it really would Luke really just kind of run off and hide if the new Jedi Order he tried to establish got taken out? But then the more I thought about it, the more I think it could, could really make sense. And first off, I mean, it was his nephew who did that, and he'd probably think, oh, it's, you know, Anakin and my father all over again. Like, I got to somehow figure out a way to stop this. But on a broader sense, I think, too, um, the, the way he defeated Darth Vader and he brought him back to the light side, that went against, you know, what Obi-Wan and Yoda wanted him to do to just kill him and kind of still having that old Jedi way that led to their downfall in assuming that Luke was going to bring back or try to reestablish a new Jedi order, I would think he was going to go about a different way, you know, not have the rules where you can't have attachments or fall in love and not have children. Because again, if he was able as Ray of his daughters, we know that was the case where he would do things differently to, you know, embrace loving somebody and having attachments. And that would be, you know, bring about a new prosperity of the Jedi order. But if he had that and it didn't work still, Kylo Ren, someone who was a part of that, you know, his family wiping out the Jedi he was trying to train, that didn't work. The old Jedi ways didn't work. So what's the best way to go about establishing this new Jedi order? So it would make sense for, you know, kind of take a step back, go back to the very beginnings of the Jedi, go try to find the first Jedi temple and get some answers and just try to meditate on what I need to do to bring the best way to bring back the Jedi order. So that was something that I think of. And then, what you were saying too about if he does find out who Snoke really is, whether it is Plagueis or not, but I do like what you're saying about Plagueis, knowing how if that really is the person who trained Palpatine and didn't die, how do you defeat him? That would be a pretty cool reason to meditate also. But I think all those aspects play into a good enough reason for Luke to go into seclusion and be away to not have anyone try to find him. And also too, to protect his daughter, if Ray is that way, to leave him, to leave her on, Jakku and I did buy into that theory where maybe he did something with the force to you know erase part of her memory or not erase but suppress where she doesn't remember and maybe even to keep her there too where she's so dedicated to staying on Jakku to wait for her family because he said that on a few occasions where I need to go back to Jakku my, I gotta be there for my family maybe that was something that was put into her mind as part of a Jedi uh, mind manipulation, I guess, for lack of better terms, <laughs> whatever, but uh, just in the ways to protect her as he tries to figure out the best way to establish the Jedi Order. And because you would think that Snoke and Kylo Ren, their mission is to find Luke Skywalker and to kill him, to eradicate the Jedi. And if they knew he had his daughter was still alive, um, they would want to get her too, which again brings to the point mm -hmm. where Kylo Ren hears that from the officer. That grabs his attention right away because maybe they think she is dead and she can't pose a threat. But when he hears that and finds out, oh, maybe she's still alive and that is the daughter of Luke, then yeah, she's going to be someone we have to take care of also. So all that stuff plays into the, you know, the theories I have with Luke and why he's gone and his relationship with Ray. So hopefully we'll get an answer to that in episode eight. I think we will. And just have to see how right or wrong I am, but I think that could mm -hmm. make for a pretty cool story moving forward with Luke. Yeah, and I like I definitely have to think that Snoke plays a part in it too somehow like whether he turns out to be Darth Plagueis or not um because I mean even if and well it also depends on the Knights of Ren as well I mean mm -hmm, we know yeah. 
Good I point. mean, Kylo Ren is the only one that we've really seen so far. But, you know, we see that scene of him in the rain with the lightsaber with all the bodies around him. And, you know, we're assuming that those are, uh, you know, Luke's Jedi that we know he killed. Um, but, of course, you see all the other guys behind him there as well. And so we don't know, like, how powerful they are. Because I'm thinking, like, it. at least it seems to me now, like, Luke could easily defeat Kylo on a, in a one-on-one fight. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm thinking they must have done something where, um, you know, maybe Luke was off on a, on a mission by himself. Or, you know, maybe even Ben distracted him with, uh, you know, he maybe created a, a diversion or something. Um you know, said he sensed a, a disturbance in the force on some planet and Luke went off to investigate it. And then the Knights of Ren came and, you know, yeah. wiped out all the Jedi while Luke was gone. Um, but like, I, I have to think Luke would be able to defeat Kylo in a one-on-one fight, but maybe he can't take on all the Knights of Ren by himself. But I also think he would have, I, I think part of the reason he went into hiding was to discover what made Kylo go wrong in the first place and then you know whether it's Snoke or the Knights of Ren it's like there's some bigger threat that Luke is probably preparing himself to face because if it, again if it was just Kylo then it would make Luke seem kind of weak to just like walk away from it all and you know just give up and leave I mean maybe that would you know discourage him from trying to train more Jedi but at the very least you think he would confront Kylo about it um now, at the same time, you could understand why, like, you know, maybe if he feels responsible and if if this is uh, the son of his daughter and his best friend, like, he's not going to necessarily just go out there and kill him. But at the same time, you know, if, if you're responsible, like, if Luke feels responsible for this kid and he was the one training him um, and then he, he turned to the dark side, like, you wouldn't just walk away and let him run around murdering people and you know being part of the first order and and killing people and stuff because if that were the case like you'd feel guilty for all those deaths as well um so i have to believe luke is like you know biding his time he's trying to make himself stronger or he's trying to find some answers or you know he's he's doing something um you know like we said the the explanation han gives is that luke just walked away from it all but obviously there's still a lot of mystery there and i think there's going to be more to it from luke's point of view yeah, totally. <laughs> what you were saying about uh, Kylo Ren going to the dark side and not to do with it, what better advice to get than from Obi-Wan and Anakin, the two people who experienced that before. So yeah, hopefully, again, he's been doing that before. Like During his meditation, maybe getting advice from both of them, and then hopefully we'll see it in episode eight. But when you were talking about that, the whole vision sequence again with uh, the Knights of Ren, this is something I was talking about with Paul yesterday, and I have to rewatch it, but that moment where you see Kylo Ren stab somebody in that vision, he was thinking that maybe that was another member of the Knights of Ren. And since Ray is experiencing that vision, I, this is where I have to see it again. He said it looks mm-hmm. like maybe he was about to attack her and then Kylo Ren stopped him and stabbed him, thus kind of saying that he, she, he knows who she is and maybe in some weird way was still protecting her from the Knights of Ren that they really were to destroy all the Jedi or force sensitive that Luke was training and but since Kylo Ren maybe knew that she was family he spared her for whatever reason maybe to train her later on or something we don't know but I that's another moment I got to look out for because when I was talking to him about it I didn't really get that impression that that person was about to attack someone and Kylo Ren stabbed him right before he did it it all happened so fast but did you pick up on that at all no and you know it's funny Paul was telling me the same thing we were playing Battlefront online yesterday and uh you know we were talking a lot about the movie and stuff and yeah he was telling me the same thing and I was like I mean I I can't really 
give an answer on that because I'd have to look at the, you know, I'd have to watch the movie and kind of look for that. But I definitely didn't see it the two times that I've seen it so far. I mean, I remember that shot of him stabbing somebody, but I didn't necessarily, like he thought that was supposed to be from Ray's point of view, looking up at this person that was like about to strike her with a weapon or something. Um, But I, I didn't see it. Um, I mean, like I just didn't see it that way as if it was from Ray's perspective or something like that. Um, it but it, it, I want to check it out again to see if it, that was the case. Yeah, no, it, it definitely could have been. Um, and I think that could kind of fit within his character, too, um, because we know how how conflicted he is about stuff. And, um, you know, he could kill a bunch of Jedi and then but, you know, then see somebody about to go after his little you know, this little girl who's his cousin and suddenly be like, no, you don't get to kill her and, you know, stab him through the chest. And, you know, it could just be like one of those moments where he kind of snaps and like feels the pull back to the light side and is like, oh, no, I can't let this happen. Um, But at the same time, I mean, I, I almost feel like that's reading into it a little bit too much just for that one quick scene where there's so much happening and so much to take in. I like at least for me, I think the intent of the scene is just to show Kylo killing someone and, you know, then maybe get the sense that this is, you know, you see him killing one person and then you see all the bodies around him and realize like, oh crap, he just killed a bunch of people. Um, And like I said, obviously I think the assumption there is supposed to be that those are are Luke's Jedi. Um, But the one other thing I was maybe wondering about, I mean, obviously we've seen, you know, action figures of all these different characters and stuff. And there's that one guy, Constable Zuvio, um, oh, who yeah. we never actually see in the movie, I don't think, except it almost looks like he could be the guy that Kylo Ren is stabbing right there just because of the hat or helmet or whatever that character is wearing. Um, it looks kind of similar to that. Um, I mean, obviously, like, it's dark and it's a real quick shot and you don't really get a good look at the character's face or anything like that. Um, but just, like, the shape of the head and the hat and everything made me go, like, oh, wait, was that him? Um, but then, yeah. like I said, you don't really see enough detail to be able to tell for sure. But that was just like, I'm like, if anything, that would be, you know, my only guess is that it's either him or it's just, you know, some random Jedi. Yeah, I think a lot of people had that suspicion because Pablo Hidalgo did send a tweet out saying that it wasn't Constable Zuvio. Oh, okay. but I don't think he said who it was. If he did, I kind of forgot it wasn't someone that stuck out to me. So um, I don't know, but it definitely wasn't Zuvio, according to Pablo. But OK. Yeah, it definitely makes you – you might be right where we're just overanalyzing it too much and it doesn't amount to anything. But I do think we're going to see a lot more of the Knights of Ren in Episode 8 or 9 because if you think about how the movie ended, uh, Starkiller Base was destroyed and the First Order <laughs> – that was their stronghold. A lot of them got wiped out. So I imagine that, first off, they probably weren't that big to begin with, um, not as big as the Empire anyway, and they suffered a huge blow – so if Snoke told you know, Hux to get Kylo Ren, take him back, maybe he's going to have Kylo Ren use the other Knights of Ren to kind of start forming his army again. Well, I don't know how big the Knights of Ren are, but that is something I was thinking of where maybe he's going to start using them because uh, one of the lines he says to Kylo Ren, when I first saw it, I couldn't understand what he said if he said, like, the master of the Knights of Ren, the last of the Knights of Ren. But when I heard it again, he did say, um, Kylo Ren is the master of the Knights of Ren. Yeah. So um, whether there's other masters, kind of like the Jedi have a bunch of members with the title as master, or maybe that's the thing. I don't know if he's just one of many or if he is like the grand master of the Knights of Ren. We'll have to see. But I think they're going to play a a bigger role with Snoke and his plans later on because maybe 
maybe this is the last we'll see of the First Order and we'll see Snow try something else. I don't know. Definitely interesting, but I think they're going to have a bigger role moving forward and hopefully get more information on him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we do know that there's going to be um, a new... Well, supposedly we, we know there's going to be a new villain in Episode Eight just because of all the casting rumors we've heard about Benicio Del Toro. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, and we know that uh captain phasma is going to be back we can assume that uh you know kylo ren and supreme leader snoke are going to be back unless it's something where i mean maybe there's a new storyline to deal with in episode eight and uh kylo and snoke kind of sit that one out for the most part as kylo is like recovering from his injuries and as snoke is training him and then they come back as a bigger threat in episode nine but i'm sure they're going to address you know those characters in that storyline again in um, episode eight as well. I'm also curious to see um, how they take Kylo Ren's character from here. Like, I don't know if he'll still be the same, you know, sort of conflicted character where there's still maybe a chance to redeem him, or if his big story arc really was in this movie and that once he killed Han, if that really was him sort of fully going over to the dark side, and if from this point forward he's going to be more of just like, you know, sort of the the tragic. You know, fallen hero type character but now he's a villain and we have to defeat this guy and like he has a tragic backstory but like there's not really a chance of redeeming him i'll be interested to see which way they take that yeah that's a good point too i imagine he's gonna want revenge on ray for messing him up pretty badly too. yeah and also too just what is he gonna look like because you know he's scarred if he's gonna have is he gonna have the same mask that he had in this one because presumably that got destroyed with star killer base because he just left it on that platform i think yeah but know, somebody could have picked it up that's true, but and he could probably make another one pretty similar to that, I would imagine. Yeah. But I wonder, and I find it hard to imagine that he'd want to stray too far away from resembling his idol, Darth Vader. So Yeah. But, but we'll see. But yeah, I agree. It should be interesting to see where he goes. I think he's still going to play a big role in Episode Eight regarding you know, him and Rey. They're the two most important characters of this new trilogy. So Oh, definitely. I just love the fact, too, that we're both... They're going to be parallel with each other. One with the light side, one with the dark side, because we see Ray off to presumably train with Luke, and then Snoke, like you said, said to Hux, "Bring me Kylo Ren back because I'm going to complete his training." So we should be, depending, of course, where it takes place. We don't know how many years Episode Eight is going to be after The Force Awakens. So, but I think it would be pretty cool to see both of them in their training or completing their training at the beginning of the movie and just seeing what their next step is as they progress and what her at the light side and her in the dark side so mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> i just can't well, wait to find out for both of them and presumably just based on the ages of the actors and the fact that we know they're making episode eight in a year and a half like it can't be set that far after episode seven like we know it's not going to be yeah. 10 years later yeah, or definitely. anything like that um i would think you know maybe no more than like three or four years after um if anything but i also think just based on the fact that um we know that uh you know they were already shooting more scenes on Skellig Michael Island uh you know earlier this year it's like presumably uh you know it, it seems like episode 8 might pick up right where 7 left off um not right where it left off i don't think it's going to start with ray you know still holding out the lightsaber to luke but um actually i think it might start somewhere else just because you know we know that the movies always start with like the title crawl and then it pans down to a shot of something in space um so it might start with like the new villain or we might see kylo ren being brought to snoke or something like that but then i think uh i I think for sure the first time we see ray she's gonna be on that planet with luke still so 
um, yeah, I can't wait to see where they go from there. Um, also, one thing that I, I thought of the second time, and, you know, going back to sort of Plagueis, uh, the, the whole Snoke Plagueis thing, um, when he says... Um, you know, bring Kylo Ren to me and I will complete his training. I was like, we know Kylo's not a Sith Lord, but he is obviously pretty powerful in the dark side. Um, and, you know, we, we don't really know what the deal is with Snoke and how powerful he is or where he came from or anything. But the the fact that he's talking about completing his training um, almost makes me think like, well, is Snoke a Sith Lord? Because like, you know, if you're Kylo Ren, like, how much more powerful in the dark side can you get before your sort of Sith Lord status? You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. um, I mean, obviously, I'm I'm sure, you know, they might expand on the lore and say there have been, like, other powerful Force users in the galaxy before who weren't Jedi or Sith. But it's just, like, you know, seeing how powerful Kylo Ren is, it's like, what's sort of the next step above that that Snoke would be at? that he would be trying to train Kylo to get to. And it's like, you know, it just sort of makes logical sense. Like, well, he could possibly be a Sith Lord and, you know, he knows more about the dark side than Kylo does and he's training him and whatnot. Yeah, maybe um, he was reluctant to at first, you know, maybe trying to get away from the Sith teachings and all that. But seeing it with everything that happened with Starkiller Base being destroyed and feeling the awakening of Rey and possibly Luke coming back, he's like, okay, maybe I got to go back, you know, teach him yeah. all the secrets, secrets that I knew beforehand as a, as a Sith, even though maybe I didn't want to, but these are desperate times. I got to show them now. Yeah. I mean, it, it would definitely be interesting to see, um, you know, the, the Plagueis theory is probably like one of my favorite things to, to speculate on and debate about with this movie. Cause as I've said before, I'm still not like a hundred percent behind it necessarily. Like I'm not going to go into episode eight predicting, like we're going to find out that Snoke is, Darth Plagueis like we could be way off on that but it's like that's the only thing we have to go on right now um you know because I I think Snoke is either going to turn out to be Plagueis or he's going to be something completely ancient and you know powerful and you know just some completely different type of villain that we've never seen before that obviously we wouldn't be able to take a good guess at right now um, you know, it's not like, oh, well, he's either Snow, like he's either Plagueis or he's this guy or he's that guy. It's either like, well, he's either Plagueis or we have absolutely no idea who he is. So it's like, this is kind of the only thing we have to, to latch onto and uh, speculate about right now. But it's like, you know, th- there is sort of more evidence that's adding up that, you know, you could maybe see that happening at the same time, um, having seen him in the movie for the first time. Now we know he's not immune, um, as Plagueis was in the book. Now, we yeah, nowhere in canon has it said that that's mm-hmm. what Plagueis's race was. So that could still be him. And his face is pretty jacked up. Um, you know, he's got like a big, huge scar going through like his entire head. And then like the whole side of his face is, you know, looks like it's been like burned or messed up or something. Um, and so it's like, if, uh, you know, if I was you know, some guy who studied, like, super powerful ancient dark magic, and then somebody killed me, but then they didn't really kill me because I actually found out how to preserve my life, and I've just been hiding in the shadows for the past, like, 60 years waiting to make my move. I think that's probably pretty close to how I would look like. Um, you know, it's like, you you can kind of see that happening, but again, at the same time, it's like, you know, there's there's sort of evidence in support of that theory, but it could also be you know, evidence in support of something completely different that we just have no idea about. So, 
Um, that's just one of those things we're going to have to wait at least a year and a half to find out, uh, you know, before we ever get any real definitive answer on that. But I just can't wait to find out more. Let me ask you this now. When you first saw him and you saw how big he was, were you thinking, oh, that's pretty cool. That's something different for Star Wars for like a big leader to be that huge and tall or were you going oh man that's a little too big i a little disappointed i hope it's well, hologram and it is hologram yeah no i i was i don't remember my first reaction to it except that i was thinking oh maybe he's not Plagueis um because you know we had talked about this where andy circus said that when they were filming those scenes he was up on like a 25 foot high platform talking down to uh you know adam driver and donald gleason um and, you know, we were speculating, like, well, does that mean Snoke is going to be 25 feet tall? Or does that mean he's just going to be in some big chamber and he's going to be up on a platform that high, you know, talking down to his minions? Um, and then, you know, we heard from some magazine article or something that he was like seven feet tall and very thin is what they said. Um, but then, yeah, so as soon as we saw him the first time, I was like, oh, well, I guess that's not Darth Plagueis. That's just like some giant evil dude. And I guess he really is 25 feet tall. But then as soon as we see that he's a hologram, I was like, oh, well, maybe it could still be, you know, Plagueis or somebody else, but he's probably not actually that big. I mean, he still could be, but, you know, I, I think the idea is just like with uh, the Emperor, the first time you see him in Return of the Jedi, where he's just like this huge float, or not Return of the Jedi, Empire Strikes Back, where he's like a huge floating hologram head. Um, it's like, obviously, that's not actually how big he is. That's just the projection of the hologram. Um, but that when you know from the get-go is a hologram, whereas with Snoke, like, it looks like he's actually there in the room until mm -hmm. he just sort of flickers out at the end. Yeah, technology has improved in holograms. <laughs> 30 yeah, years past, 30, <laughs> that yeah. is true. But I got to say, I I did kind of like that he was that big. And just because it's unique, it's something different. And I don't know how it would play out in a lightsaber fight. That would probably look a little weird. But mm -hmm. <laughs> I was kind of hoping he was that big just for something that would be different. But I got to say, I was a little disappointed when it turned out to be a hologram and kind of realized, yeah, he's probably not that big. Probably taller than others, but not like 25 feet tall. But <laughs> I, yeah. Yeah, that was my initial reaction after. I was kind of hoping he really would be that size. Well, I mean... I guess I was kind of hoping he wasn't just because, I mean, it would be a cool idea. It would be something new, something we haven't seen before. But then, like you said, once it comes time to defeat the final big villain, like, I feel like it would end up being something pretty disappointing where, I mean, either you're going to get, like, a bunch of Jedi teaming up on this big giant and it's just going <laughs> to yeah. look like a video game boss or something like that, yeah. or... They're just going to blow up whatever planet or space station or base he's in and he's going to die along with it. And it's just going to be like, oh, well, that's disappointing because they never actually got to see him face to face or anything like that. Yeah, those are all good points. <laughs> I'd rather have the epic battle with someone just a little taller and normal size than the 20 feet. Yeah, because yeah. it would look pretty ridiculous. <laughs> it's like. 50 Jedi hopping all over his body trying to slash him and stuff like you said, like a monster movie or a video game boss battle. Yeah, but man, how cool would it be if like the epic final showdown of this trilogy is Luke and Rey going after Kylo and Snoke at the yeah, same time for, and, <laughs> and like Rey and Kylo are having a lightsaber duel while Luke and Snoke are just having this epic display of force powers. Oh, um, man. <laughs> man, that would be just amazing. Yeah, see, I would think maybe episode eight, but then what? How cool of a like a real climactic way to end episode nine? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, I, I, I think 
yeah, I think Snoke and Kylo Ren are going to be like the end game for episode nine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'd be a great, again, uh, rhyme for episode three with how Yoda and Anakin, <laughs> or Yoda and Obi-Wan took on Palpatine and Anakin. Yeah, mm-hmm. it'd be so poetic and so cool. <laughs> yeah, we'll see, but I'm wondering if, if like, we might even see that showdown happen, like, in the same space, though. Mm, oh, um, okay. You know, where it's uh, not like they split yeah. up and go after him at the same time, but it's like, you know, Luke and Ray like walk in side by side, ignite their lightsabers and take on like both of the bad guys. I hope so. That would be awesome because in the Darth Bane novels, Bane and his apprentice took on like Jedi like that where they're both in the same room and just displaying their awesome abilities and even in the book, you pictured some awesome stuff in your head and I would love to see that in a movie. That would be really cool. Yeah, that would be so awesome. Um, so anyway, let's circle back to something I started mentioning a while ago, and then we you know, yeah. went back to talking more about uh, Snoke and Luke and all that other kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> like an hour ago now or something? <laughs> yeah, it feels like it. Um, but anyway, yeah, like I said, the, the one major character that we haven't talked about yet is Leia. Um, and I mean, what do you think about her sort of appearance and, and uh, part in this story? Yeah, I thought she was great. Carrie Fisher was great in it. I have to say... <laughs> seen Carrie Fisher more in like recent interviews and knowing how she acts in interviews and how she likes to have fun. It was a little strange to see her be so serious in this movie, but it felt like Leia and where she would be 30 years later. And boy, talk about a great entrance. And again, another character who had a great first appearance in this movie when she walks off that shuttle and she see Han, she sees Han there. They're just staring at each other. You know, it's been a while since mm-hmm. they've seen each other and, knowing what they had to go through with the with their son and Ben turning to the dark side becoming Kylo Ren so just to see that interaction with them was great they didn't skip a beat again this is I think one of the great reasons why it was cool to have Lawrence Kasdan back writing the script because he writes them better than anyone as we saw in Empire and Jedi so the fact that he was back writing them in this in The Force Awakens and I personally didn't think they skipped a beat. It felt like the natural progression for those two characters. And yeah, it is a little sad that things didn't work out between them and, you know, they had to separate and they haven't seen each other for a while and they went their separate ways. As they said, they did what they knew how to do best, which was her was, you know, leading an army, in this case, the resistance and Han going back to his smuggling and pirate ways, pirate ways. So it made sense for me and, I I will talk about this later with some of our uh, listener responses, how there was some disappointment with that. But I just kind of think, you know, it's kind of like the real world. We don't, not everyone gets happy endings. <laughs> it's not, mm-hmm. it's different from those classic, we like to think of Star Wars as a modern fairy tale. And it doesn't end like those classic fairy tales, you know, where the prince and the princess live happily ever after. That's not the case here. And I, I like that approach. It's more realistic. And the fight still continues on because I'm sure there were some, peaceful moments after Return of the Jedi. I mean, they were able to start a family for a little bit. It didn't work out, but that was, I do like to think there was some peaceful time there. And I think I said this on our very first episode where I do, where I was hoping that there was peace throughout the galaxy for a little bit and they got to enjoy themselves after a hard earned victory against the empire. And it didn't really get established how long that was. I kind of think it didn't last long at all because they had to establish the new Republic, the Senate and dealing with, uh, to the last remnants of the empire especially what we know in some of the comics and novels that came afterwards but again yeah just more of a realistic setting of how their characters uh evolved and became in the course of the years after return of the jedi just unfortunately became more distant and the, the happiness 
it's while it's still there because you do see that spark that they had in Empire and Jedi, but it's different circumstances, and unfortunately, it just didn't last and work out as well as everyone probably hoped it would. But I like that it was a little more uh, realistic that that didn't have a happily ever after ending. But yeah, Carrie Fisher I thought did great. She had some great uh, lines and great moments. I mean, I love the fact that once uh, Kylo Ren killed Han. It went back to her and she felt it in the forest. Yeah. Gone. It was that Yoda moment from Revenge of the Sith. That's what yeah. I thought. So little stuff like that and her interactions with Ray at the end and the little hug that Chewie gave her when she first popped up I thought was great. So yeah, I thought Prince or I see I'm like C three PO, I'm still calling her Princess Leia. <laughs> <laughs> General Leia. I thought she was handled really good. So oh, again, just another Check lot, check off mark on the list of things we're looking forward to in Star Wars. All three of the original trilogy members coming back did a great job, and I really couldn't be happier with how all of them were portrayed. Yeah, no, I, like I totally agree with you, um, especially on the whole Han and Leia relationship. I mean, it is unfortunate that they didn't get to have you know their happily ever after, but at the same time, I mean, on the one hand, it does sort of make it feel more relatable when I mean that's something that people in the real world deal with so often, and I mean it it is a shame that, you know, in today's world, so many marriages end in divorce and stuff, but it's like, um, you know, it makes the story feel kind of more grounded in reality when it's like, yeah, well, you know, that's something that people go through. Um, and it was nice to see that, you know, they don't like hate each other. Like, I mean, like you said, they, they got back together after having not seen each other for however many years. And like you said, it felt like they hadn't skipped a beat. Um, like, even though we know sort of in the backstory that, you know, things didn't work out and they hadn't been together for a while. Once they did get back together, it felt like they picked up right where they left off. Um, But also, obviously, you know, it's not like they just, you know, got married and were happy and then started fighting and then got divorced. Like, obviously, their son turning to the dark side and killing a bunch of people had a lot to do with that. Yeah. Um, And, you know, Leia talked about how he had too much Vader in him and then she sent him away to train with Luke, but that's when she lost him and that's when she lost both of them. Um, Actually, that was Han who said there was too much Vader in him, and I love that line. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> cool, but yeah. yeah, and then, you know, Leia said, that's why I sent him to train with Luke, and she said, that's when I lost him, that's when I lost both of you. Um, and so, you know, you can tell that, I mean, there's, it, it was, uh, you know, a, a tragic and traumatic thing for, um, you know, even for them, knowing how much it hurt Luke and, you know, how much, obviously how much pain and, you know, death he caused for a bunch of other people. Um, and so it was just something where, rather than try to get through it together they felt like they were better off just kind of um trying to you know bury it and move on i guess and go on to you know like you said go back to what they did best which was you know leia being a a politician and a general and you know whatever else she's been doing in you know in those 30 years and han and chewy right back to you know just being rogues and smugglers and um i was curious to also think uh i'll ask you more about this in a second um but you know han's whole story at the beginning with the you know the gangs and everything mm-hmm. um but also i just wanted to say that the one other thing i loved about that han and leia reunion moment um was when c-3po pops up and interrupts yeah. it. it's <laughs> like the you know the han and leia's theme is playing and again i mean it was kind of one of those moments kind of like luke and ray at the end where they're just looking at each other and not saying anything and yet you can just read the emotions in their faces and in the music and in you know the way it's shot and just like you know what's going on um, and then C-3PO pops in and he's like, oh my goodness, it's Han Solo. You know, you probably don't recognize me because of the red arm. And then he turns around and he's like, you know, General Leia, look who it is. Oh, 
you already saw, and uh, now you're both mad because I just interrupted your moment. I'm leaving now. <laughs> <laughs> it's Empire all over again. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, that was great. I also love to her line. I mean, when she tells convincing Han to go get uh, Kylo Ren back because when she said, or Han says, if Luke couldn't reach out to him, what can I do? And she said, Luke was a Jedi. You're his father. And you, again, it leads into how powerful that moment with Han and Kylo Ren is at the end. Yeah. Thinking that, oh. yeah, his father would be able to get him back to the light and convince him, but uh, it didn't. Again, it just <laughs> makes it a lot more heart-wrenching with how it all plays out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then also... Um, oh, when you're talking about the thing with uh, Leia, you know, feeling it through the Force when Han dies and everything. I mean, I've I've heard opinions from a couple of people where they were actually kind of surprised and disappointed that Leia, like, hasn't trained as a Jedi by this point. And they're like, you know, why is she still, you know, just a general or whatever when she can use the Force and supposedly is, like, supposed to be just as strong in the Force as Luke is? Um, and, you know, like man, I, you know, I wanted to see her with a lightsaber and have her be a Jedi and everything. And I was like, they could have gone that way, but I kind of like that. I mean, she's, she's a, a unique character in that sense where like every character that we've seen so far in Star Wars is either a Jedi or a Sith or a non-Force user. And it's cool to see someone who, you know, grew up so entrenched in you know, politics and leading the rebellion and all that kind of stuff. And then finds out that they have these force powers and is like, oh, okay, that's cool. I'll kind of like incorporate that into my life a little bit, but I've already, you know, I I already know what I've set out to do and I'm just going to keep doing that. Um, And so now you have a general of the resistance who, you know, has the, you know, has force abilities, but doesn't have to, be like, oh, now I have to go off on this grand adventure to become a Jedi Master kind of thing. Um, and I'll be interested to see how that plays out through the rest of the trilogy. Um, in fact, I'll be interested to see, like, how much of a role even, you know, Leia even plays through the rest of the trilogy. Um, and, you know, how much of it is just going to be focused on Luke and Rey and the Jedi mm-hmm. and how much, you know, Leia and the Resistance are still going to play into it. Um, but I'm sure she'll still be in there because, you know, we're still going to have... Uh, you know, Finn and Poe Dameron and everything. So I'm sure there'll be, you know, plenty of resistance stuff going on as well. But And um, I would think too Kylo Ren and her have to meet again at some point in this trilogy. Yeah. It's a, I I mean I hope it's not just sort of a rehash of, you know uh her and or of Kylo and Han meeting for the first mm-hmm. time. Um but yeah, I, I, like I do think that'll probably I th- yeah, I think that'll probably happen at some point. Um but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I like that you've got this character now who is, you know, like I said, unique in the sense that um, for the most part, you know, she's in there with all the non-Force users, but she's got, you know, those those Force senses and instincts, and uh, she's not going to, like, run into a room, ignite a lightsaber, and start Force-pushing people around the place, mm-hmm. but in, yeah. in certain moments, it's going to serve her... Um, you know, more so than it would just a regular person, like when she can feel, you know, Han's death and stuff like that. And plus, too, after Return of the Jedi, there was a lot of stuff they had to do to establish the New Republic and the Senate and all that. Yeah. She didn't have time to for do any Jedi training. I mean, because she was already good at being a diplomat and you know, a politician. So she had to go to do what her strength is and get the New Republic established. So I totally buy into that where she wouldn't have time for jedi training and all that so i i didn't have a problem with it at all and really didn't expect her to 
do anything with the force and with the Jedi training. I actually thought it was an added bonus that we got that shot of her reacting to Han when she felt it in the force. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really cool. Again, we saw little moments like that in the original trilogy, especially in Empire. So I thought it was great how they handled her with the force too. This everything as at least for me that I was expecting, I thought they delivered on with her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that was that was perfect. Um I mean her reaction to that. And then also like when Ray comes back and she sees Leia, and then they just hug each other. Yeah. And um, I mean, I was talking to somebody else who said they thought that um, they kind of glossed over that too fast. And it's like, man, they just killed off Han Solo, and then like nobody stops to talk about it, or they don't really talk about like the repercussions of that or anything. And I think, I mean, for me, just that scene, like the hug between uh, Ray and Leia, like that's all you need right there. Um, it's like nothing needs to be said. They both, I mean, obviously Ray was there and Leia felt it. And I think the look that Leia gives Ray when she comes off that ship, um, you know, Ray was probably thinking like, oh man, crap. Like I'm going to have to explain to Leia how her son killed you know, her, her former husband or whatever. Um, and then I will say I have one little nitpick about that. Chewie walked out first, and he walked right past Leia. I kind of hoping he would be the first one, you know, oh, to yeah. kind of give her a little hug or something about that. But but kind of makes it okay, you know. Leia and Ray are the two Force sensitives, and she probably felt Ray's reaction and connection to it through the Force also. So it does make sense why they would be the ones to hug first. But Chewie just like walked right past her, and yeah, he had Finn and wanted to give him medical attention, but. To me, it stood out as being a little weird that Chewie would rock right past her, knowing how they were the two closest people to Han. So there's a little nitpick, but yeah, I, <laughs> I guess I, could, I can see that. But yeah, like you said, he was he was trying to get Finn, you know, get him medical attention to make sure that he wasn't going to end up dying too. Yeah, um, <laughs> good point. But yeah, it was like you know, Ray didn't have to explain that to Leia because as soon as she saw her face, I mean, it was almost like you know, it was like Leia saying, "I know." Um, yeah. And, you know, and then they just hug. And uh, I mean, that was another very powerful emotional moment where, like, no words needed to be said. Like, you knew what was going on there. And how cool was it to her to hear her say, May the Force be with you? And I'm trying to think, did Leia ever say that? I'm trying to, I'm, right now I'm saying no, but I'm trying to replay it right now in my head. Yeah, I don't think that. so. But also, I mean, it was the only time anyone ever said it in the in this movie. So, yeah. you know, it was perfect. Yeah. Um, now, okay, so. I mean, was was there anything else you wanted to add about that scene or anything? Because I was going to back up to something else. Um, nope, you can go ahead. Okay, because I was going to ask you um, what you thought about the scene at the beginning with Han and Chewie on, you know, on their freighter when the, uh, what is it, like the, uh, the Guavian Death Gang comes after him and then the Kanji Club and, you know, they get caught between these two, um, you know, pirate gangs and then they let out the, the Rathtars or whatever. Um what would you think about that sequence? At first, I I didn't say I didn't like it. It felt weird to me. I think this was the most uh, the sequence out of all of them that felt didn't feel like Star Wars to me than any others. But um, when I saw it again, uh, it didn't really stood out to me as much. I guess since it looks so different and the characters, they this is the <laughs> the one point where it kind of looked like, especially the Kanji Club gang that they look like they belong in Star Trek, not Star Wars. And this, like the environment of that freighter, reminded me more of a Star Trek setting than Star Wars. But when I saw it again, it didn't really stand out to me this that much. And it was just cool to see Han, you know, really dealing in his smuggler ways, trying to get out of things. And it was cool 
too. I mean, regarding the monsters, I've heard a lot of people had a problem with it, that the CG wasn't good and that they looked kind of fake. I thought they looked fine. I kind of wish we saw a little more of them because they were a different type of creatures that we haven't seen before in Star Wars. So I did like that. I did think the Guavian Death Gang soldiers, they looked cool. I mean, we saw the toys of them. Kind of wish we saw a little more of them in action, but we did see them have a shootout with Han and Chewie, which was cool. And and seeing Chewie get shot that took me by a little bit back when I saw that, too. Because um, we knew something happened to him when the trailer shot where uh, he puts his hand over his head and he sees a bandage, and that's how it happened. But still, it was a little painful to see. <laughs> Hearing Chewie cry out in pain at first yeah. with that. But yeah, overall, the sequence, it's not my favorite of the movie, but I still think it works. And it was pretty awesome to see Han use the Falcon to take off in light speed inside the Raider. I thought that was yeah. really cool. But... <laughs> With the creatures still like sucking yeah. on the cockpit. Um, that's, that's like a Star a Star Tour sequence waiting to happen. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Um, well, except, I mean, there wasn't really much flying after that. Um, but I definitely hope we get a Star Tours sequence either of the battle over Starkiller Base or the, the battle on uh, Takodana mm. with Maz's castle. Uh, that was, I mean, you mentioned the shot with Kylo Ren igniting the lightsaber from the trailer, how that wasn't in there. I was a little disappointed, like, also that first shot from yeah. the trailer with the X-Wings flying in, um, that wasn't in there. Um, I mean, there was a, a similar shot, and I think we'd seen it in one of the later trailers or TV spots or something, where it almost looks like a continuation of that shot, where the X-Wings kind of start in the middle and then, like, fly off the right side of the frame as they're heading towards the castle. But just, like, that first shot where you just see the water and hear the, uh, you know, hear the engines coming in and just see those those first fighters um, going in. Um, yeah, that wasn't in there, but... Um, yeah, that was disappointing. I picked. I didn't pick up on that the first time I saw it, but when I saw it the second time, I was like, where's that shot? That, yeah. that became an iconic shot, too. So cool when you yeah, saw it definitely. the trailer. Um, yeah, but so anyway, talking about uh, you know Han and, and those gangs and stuff, though, um, I did kind of feel the same way as you the first time. I felt like it was a little weird, a little out of place, but I think part of it was that because we'd been following so much, um, you know, so many of the rumors and stuff and seen so many things from the trailers and stuff like that, I mean... I don't know about you, but like I had no idea that was coming. Yeah, um, that's a really good point. Actually. And so I was ex- like, once Han and Chewie boarded the Falcon, I was expecting them to, you know, kind of talk to Ray and Finn and you know explain some stuff, and then they'd be heading off for the Resistance base or whatever. Um, and then I was like, wait a minute, why are we stopping to like fight pirates and stuff? This isn't how the story was supposed to go. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so it was, you know, part of it was just my own uh, sort of, you know. Uh, preconceived notions going into it and it just didn't really line up with that um so seeing it the second time i enjoyed that part more because like you said you just kind of get to see han and chewie in their element kind of see what they've been up to the past 30 years um and even you know see like what life would have been like for them before a new hope even because i mean you you kind of get a taste of that with job of the hut and that whole storyline um but you know still just seeing them you know smuggling monsters and dealing with pirates it's kind of just like an old-fashioned like han solo space pirate adventure but to me that whole sequence it almost feels like one of those sort of like one-off uh episodes of like clone wars or star wars rebels or something Mm. where (laughs) it like it's a good episode it's you know it's fun and you get like some cool character moments and stuff but it doesn't really you know, it's not really important to, like, the overall story of, uh, you know, whatever else is going on. It's, like, you get a, a three-episode arc about uh, the clones and then, like, a one-episode with Hondo and then, like, 
uh, a Darth Maul story arc right after that. You know, it's like that one fun little Hondo episode in the middle. That's kind of yeah. what this felt like. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point, too. I mean, I think really the only purpose it served was um, one of the pirates, he said to contact the First Order to tell them the droid is on the Millennium Falcon with Han Solo, and that's where mm-hmm. Snoke realizes, and that's where it gets revealed that Kylo Ren is the son. So I guess that is the purpose it served. It, it was just a long sequence, I guess, to get that established. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I mean, that, like I said, that was one of the things that stood out to me the, the first time that I liked better the second time. Um, now, I think we've pretty much gone through, you know, all the major sequences and stuff in the movie. Um, and obviously we've talked about a lot of great stuff that we loved. So let me ask you now, like, was there, what was, you know, what if anything did you not like about it? Okay. So other than Captain Phasma almost being pointless in the movie. <laughs> One of the, probably my biggest complaint of it is there were too many beats that were like a new hope. I mean, yeah, you know that's what they were going for and you said this before too how where they really needed to make this safe for the fans that didn't like the prequels and were done with Star Wars to get them back into it. And so I get why they had to do it, but I still think they could have done some stuff a little differently and not have it be too on the nose. I mean, as far as like BB-8 carrying the plans or the map for Luke is similar to R2 and the Death Star plans and Starkiller Base obviously being like the Death Star. And uh, I will say too, I did like the space, or not space battle, but the ship battle on uh, Tokodano against the X-Wings and the TIE Fighters on Maes Kanata's castle. But I really wasn't a big fan of the last sequence on Starkiller Base. To me, it just sent like it didn't need to be there. It sent too much because we've had this awesome lightsaber battle with Finn and Kylo Ren, and you're about to get invested into Rey and Kylo Ren's battle, but then it cuts to the the ship battle, and that should be an awesome sequence that you should be excited about, but when that happened, I was like, no, I don't care about any of that <laughs> stuff right now. I want to see that lightsaber battle with Rey and Finn. I mean, with uh, Rey and Kylo Ren. So I wished it was kept separate more like, because for me as a Star Wars fan, my favorite climactic battles are the ones that are self-contained where like a new hope it's just the attack on the death star or attack of the clones is just on geonosis or revenge of the sith it's just anakin that's split up in two but uh it still worked good they work parallel together nicely where yoda and sidious against anakin and obi-wan and of course empire is probably the best of them all with luke and vader's fight and i kind of wish this one followed suit where it was just kylo ren finn and ray and that was the climactic battle and not the assault on star killer base because while there were some cool shots in there i like some of the cockpit views where you see uh, some x-wings getting shot down by tie fighters that looked neat but i just wasn't really fully invested and it just sent like you know the rehash rehash might be too strong of a word but a repeat of the death star attack just not as good even though there was some cool moments in there and i just felt it was a little bit better than the phantom menace space battle which i think is the worst one out of all which i really don't get invested in but the, those were some of my major complaints with it. The, the two similar beats that were familiar with A New Hope. And another thing that I, mainly on the initial time I first saw it, where I wish certain things were expanded on more, like the whole politics and what the state of the galaxy is. And Huck skips his speech and it gives you a little idea. And the crawl very basically says the First Order rose from the ashes of the of the Empire or something like that. But now that I have the Force Awakens visual dictionary, it provides a lot more insight and info on how that happens. So I'm glad I had that information, but thought it maybe could have been explored upon a little more in the actual movie. But And 
this one's not really I shouldn't call this a complaint, but it's one of those instances where I shouldn't judge a movie on what it wasn't, but what it is. Um, one thing I we talked about before and I was expecting was that the MacGuffin of the movie was going to be uh, Luke and Anakin's lightsaber. And that's kind of what's bringing everyone together and what makes them connect and go see Maz Kanata and all that. I was actually um, kind of surprised when she had it all along and it wasn't that they were bringing it to her and whether getting it to work or see if she knew anything about Luke's whereabouts with it. I was kind of hoping that was more the driving force than BB-8 having the map to his location. So again, that's not what the movie was, so I shouldn't, I guess, really judge it on that. But we've heard all those rumors and speculating about it. And for me, I thought how cool it was for that lightsaber to be the main MacGuffin of it. But it wasn't the case. And in the end, it all still works. The lightsaber did play an important role in it. And it led to an awesome Force Vision scene, so I can't really fault it on that. That was just something I guess I played in my head more, and when it didn't happen, I was a little surprised. So, Yeah, well, um, heck, I'm just glad the movie didn't start with a shot of a severed <laughs> hand clutching the lightsaber floating through space. Oh, man, yeah, we got a much better one, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, yeah, that's about it for my complaints. Too much like A New Hope and... Again, the Captain Phasma thing, that still bugs me so much. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I hear what you're saying about it being similar to A New Hope. Um, actually, that, I mean, the battle at the end over Starkiller Base, I didn't mind so much. I mean, I thought there were some cool shots and some cool moments from that battle. Um, it maybe wasn't the most uh, climactic, I guess. Um, I mean, when it... I, I guess I wasn't quite sure what they were going for in terms of, you know, they had to destroy that, like, reactor thing for, for the weapon. Um, and I'm thinking, like, is this going to be, like, another Death Star trench? Are they just trying to, like, blow up that whole structure or something? But then it was, like, when Chewie blew it up, he, like, blew a hole in the wall. And then Poe Dameron actually flew his X-Wing, like, mm-hmm. into the base and was just, like, flying around the room shooting at stuff and flew back out. Um, so, I mean, it was... And, and I can see how you... That does kind of seem like it was, you know, it was kind of similar to uh, Anakin in The Phantom Menace when he flies into the droid ship, blows it up, and flies out. Um, but there were just some really cool visual shots in that, uh, you know, that like the dogfights and stuff. So, I mean, from a story standpoint, it wasn't the most exciting battle, but there were some, some cool moments in it. But I think, honestly, like one of my biggest problems with the story overall is just Starkiller Base itself and the way that it's introduced and the way that it's used. Um... And part of this kind of ties into um, my other probably biggest complaint, which is like uh, what you said, there's not really enough um, sort of world building and expanding on um, the relationship, you know, what the state of the galaxy is with the government and the the Republic and the rebellion or the Republic and the resistance and the First Order um, and all that kind of stuff. Um, it, It almost felt like they were sort of pandering to like the prequel haters who were just, you know, completely bored and turned off by like all the political debates and stuff and i was like okay well i don't need people like in the senate debating trade routes but that doesn't mean you can't tell me just like a little bit about the political state of the galaxy right now um it felt like they you know completely glossed over that um and so when you know halfway through the movie suddenly it's like oh we've got this giant weapon that can destroy planets we're gonna target the republic and you know wipe out their whole system and uh, you know, it's like, well, why exactly do you hate the Republic so much? And what's the relationship with the Resistance? And, oh, wait, they just blew up a bunch of planets. Whatever, I guess we 
don't need to know why that was important. Yeah, and um, I'm wondering, okay, so is the Republic all destroyed now? What's left? <laughs> yeah, I don't know, because they also said, uh, you know, he said, you know, we'll destroy the Senate, we'll destroy their precious fleet and whatever. And so then at the end of the movie, when they're getting ready to attack Starkiller Base, um, I think it's like C-3PO who says, you know, without their help of the Republic fleet, we're doomed. Um, and so it's like... Um, and that's kind of disappointing because now I'm thinking, well, is it just the resistance that still uses X-Wings? And we could have seen a whole bunch of new ships if the, uh, you know, if the Republic fleet had showed up, but I guess that's wiped out now. Um, that's what I'm thinking too. And also too, I was kind of surprised, um, C-3PO says that about the Republic fleet, but I'm under the impression that, um, the Republic doesn't really that have that strong of a fleet. If anything, it's really small because again, knowing from the visual dictionary, how they, like, there was like a peace treaty signed with the Empire where there were, or might have been just the Empire who had to, like, you know, were banned from like having any military presence. But I do believe, or that's right, in Aftermath, it was said that um, Mon Mothla, as the new Supreme Chancellor, um, said like decommissioned 90% of their military force so, you know, oh, to try okay. to keep peace. So that's where the resistance comes in, where the they're not officially part of the New Republic, but they're. The resist the new republic allows them to exist, you know, just yeah. in case they need them to take on the first order. So I imagine the republic fleet isn't that big. <laughs> that's right. what Trippio was referring well, to. And yeah, and now they're gone is what it seems mm-hmm. like. Um, also, I have to say I was a little bit disappointed because one of the like the the main planet I guess that Starkiller Base destroys that you kind of focus on in the movie. Um, is called Hosnian Prime. But the first time I saw the movie, I thought that was Coruscant. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I thought they wiped out Coruscant. And, um, you know, I mean, you can see that it's a big city planet. And, I mean, I was, like, really sad. Like, and uh, you know, I was, I was completely shocked, too. I was like, holy crap. Like, I didn't even think I would feel that much of an emotional attachment to Coruscant. It's not like my favorite planet or anything, but then just thinking about, you know, all the stuff that we've seen happen there through the prequels and the Clone Wars and everything, and then boom, it's just gone. Like, I can't tell if that was supposed to be like a slap in the face to prequel fans or like if it was just (laughs) supposed to be like a really powerful emotional story moment. But then the, you know, the story just moves on and the characters keep going almost as if nothing has happened. And I'm like, wait, guys, like we need to talk about this. They just wiped out Coruscant. And then I found out later that they didn't. And I'm like, okay, but you made it look similar enough that a lot of people like I can't be the only one who jumped to that conclusion. So... I thought that was a little confusing, even though after the fact they do say like, oh, you know, it's the weapon that destroyed the Hosnian system or something. Um, but still, like at first I was like, well, how do we know Coruscant's not in the Hosnian system? Like that doesn't tell me what planets got destroyed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, I mean, that was just sort of my first reaction. You know, of course, after reading some stuff about it and then seeing it the second time, like I'm OK with that. But still, just the way that it's I mean, it, it like Starkiller Base almost seems just forced into the story like halfway through. Um, and you know, it's like, oh, suddenly the bad guys need a big weapon to, um, you know, destroy some planets and make it seem like a big threat. And, uh, I mean, I, I think the movie could have been just as good if, um, you know, Kylo Ren and the first order come to Takodana, kidnap Rey, take her back to some resistance base and maybe kidnap her and BB-8. And so the reason the resistance goes after them is because they don't want to let the First Order find Luke Skywalker or something like that. And so they send in 
a fleet and you know they maybe just have to you know Poe Dameron and the X-Wings and everything have to take out some air defenses so that Han Solo can land in the Falcon or something like that Mm -hmm. Um, and then they just have to go in rescue Rey and get out of there Um, and you know you don't need the whole like giant planetary weapon killing thing uh, in the middle of it because I mean it feels like a minor subplot except at the same time like we said they wiped out a whole solar system and obviously that's going to have huge repercussions and it feels like that's something that's so big that it needs to sort of be at the forefront of the story if you're going to focus on that but it kind of feels like it just got swept under the rug so that felt like something to me that could have just been dealt with a little bit better um, yeah and plus you're so invested with Kylo Ren storyline with Rey and Han and everything that, like I said before, that's the whole assault of Starkiller based on like an afterthought where you're not fully invested to it. You just want to get back to the main part of the story yeah. that you are invested in. Yeah, I mean, for me, I, I was more invested in the battle. And again, I mean, I, I like the visuals and I like the X-Wings and everything. So, and, you know, of course, I love Poe Dameron too. So, um, I mean, the actual battle was cool, but like I said, from a you know, I was invested in it from just like a visual and an action standpoint, but not as much from a story standpoint. Um, because the other thing too, I mean, it seemed kind of rushed. Like once they get back to the resistance planet and, uh, you know, Finn goes to Leia and says like, Hey, you know, they captured my friend and they took her to the planet with the base that destroyed the Hosni system. And, you know, I worked there and, you know, I can tell you guys all about it. And then like, Five minutes later, somebody comes to Leia and is like, you know, General, our recon team from the enemy base is back. And it's like, wait, like five minutes ago, you guys didn't even know this thing existed. And Finn was the one who told you about it. And now you've sent a recon mission there already? Or did you happen to already have a recon team like in the same area? Or, I mean, that whole thing came together really fast. I mean, it seemed like the the whole focus of the plot just like took a left turn like sort of you know towards the end um where it had been focused on uh you know kylo ren like looking for ray and trying to find you know everybody trying to find the map to luke skywalker and everything um and then suddenly it's like oh whoa hold the phone we gotta go take out the big giant planetary killing weapon first even though they didn't really give us a reason to care about the planets that it just wiped out or you know really introduce this thing or anything like that um so yeah that i i feel like that was the weakest part of the plot now at the same time i'm kind of glad it was in there because like i said you know it did provide for some cool moments i like the the aerial battle at the end and also just the shot like we were talking about where um you know the confrontation between han and ben where the sun goes out behind them right before ben kills han like that was just and that's that's got to be one of my favorite visual moments in star wars now um i mean it's probably right up there for me with like my favorite shot in all of star wars which is at the end of revenge of the sith when vader's helmet comes down on him and you just hear him take the breath for the first time yeah i mean it was just one of those like really powerful emotional moments and i love that but and and so that's why i'm like i don't necessarily wish that they didn't have a star killer base in there but i just wish that they had incorporated it into the story better because it seems like like I said, they they just kind of shoehorned it in there like halfway through, and then the whole focus of the story suddenly changes on, oh, we got to stop this thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally agree. And hopefully this is it for the destructive space stations uh, for the yeah. next two movies because they had three of them now. They None of them worked. 
well, they did work, but they ended up getting destroyed in the end. So <laughs> let that be a lesson for the First Order or whatever Snoke comes up with next in Episodes 8 and 9. Yeah. And, I mean, this wasn't even like a, a space station. This was a planet with a freaking laser cannon built yeah. into it. So I don't know how much bigger you could go anyways. Um, I know. They even made a point in the Resistance base. Like, this is a Death Star. This is Starkiller Base. Yeah. And in the end, yeah, pretty much – I mean, there was a little more effort to get in there to blow it up. But still, in the end, it was pretty simple to take out <laughs> to, as much as they built it up and how it was supposed to be even way more tougher and bigger than the Death Star. They still took it out relatively easy, even though – I mean, it came with a great cause. But mm-hmm. the fact that how they blew it up, you thought it would have been a little more complicated than being too similar to how a Death Star blew up. Yeah. Although I think one other good purpose that it served is that then, you know, when the planet starts imploding at the end of the duel between uh, Rey and Kylo Ren, then, you know, the ground starts falling apart and a big crack opens up between mm. the two of them. So I think that was a good way to end the duel without – yeah. Um, you know, without one of them having to kill the other and without, you know, a moment where, um, you know, maybe Ray is about to strike him down and then it's just like, I'm going to let you live or whatever. Mm, yeah, um, that's true. I'd agree with that. You know, because I think she hasn't necessarily learned enough about the force yet to to be able to sort of differentiate like the light side from the dark side. Um, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, I th- I think she's she's seen what Kylo Ren is doing and knows that that's evil. But if she's seen, um, you know, she saw Kylo Ren kill Han, she saw him uh, strike down Finn. I think she probably would have thought it would be okay to you know kill him out of anger and you know rid the galaxy of you know uh-huh. a, a mm-hmm. pretty big bad guy. So. Um, you know, I don't know how that would have ended if uh, if that you know if the the ground hadn't opened up between them. So, I, and that was also kind of a, a cool visual too, just seeing this giant rift between them. Um, and I thought that was almost symbolic in a way that if they are related, um, and if it does turn out that Ray is is Luke's daughter, it's almost like um, that was sort of symbolic where you could see how they kind of started off where they could have been on the same path, but now Ray is going to go train as a Jedi. Uh, Kylo obviously has, you know, killed Han. He's with the dark side. He's chosen his path. And so now, like, there's this big rift between them where they're they're going off on separate paths. Um, but also, like I said, I thought it was just, like, a, a pretty convenient way to end the duel as well. So, um, but anyway, so, yeah, I think my, my biggest gripes with it were Starkiller base, the, you know, the lack of explanation of just sort of the, the world building and all that kind of stuff going on. And then, you know, we've talked about the villains, how... Um, Hux and Phasma weren't fleshed out all that much. Um, and then I guess my one other complaint would be, I mean, I know you talked about the the sort of MacGuffin of it, how it wasn't Luke's lightsaber. And that wasn't necessarily disappointing to me. But I wasn't really crazy about the whole, like, oh, we've got a map to Luke Skywalker kind of thing. Um, you know, that also seemed a bit convenient. Um, more so the first time I watched it than the second time, because listening more closely to, to what Han is saying and stuff, the, the second time when he says, like, the people who knew Luke best think he might have gone looking for uh, the first Jedi Temple. Like, my my sort of understanding of it now, having seen it twice, is um, I think the map doesn't point directly to Luke. I think the map points to the planet that they think Luke went in search of. Mm-hmm. Um, but Again, just the way that they present it, uh, you know, and I think it's just sort of to keep it simple and to to not sort of over over explain and over complicate things. Um, 
But when it's like, oh, this droid has a, a you know, has data that contains a, a piece of a map to Luke Skywalker, and it's like, how is there a map to Luke Skywalker? Yeah. Like, since <laughs> when are there maps that pinpoint exactly where people in the galaxy are? You know, um, so that just seemed a little cliche i guess or or whatever and then of course when r2 wakes up at the end and then suddenly just has the rest of the map and they never really explained how that happened um and i know uh you know in that q a that jj uh, abrams and michael arndt and lawrence kasdan did um they actually did touch on that and they actually said i i guess this is something that was supposed to be implied in the story and i didn't pick up on this but when kylo ren says that um, he's seen the rest of the map because it was in the archives of the Empire and that, you know, all he needs is the piece that BB-8 found. Um, apparently, the, you know, the that was also where R2 got it from and that when he plugged into the Death Star mainframe in A New Hope to find out where Leia is, he also was just like, heck, you know what? While I'm at it, I'm going to download the entire, you know, Empire <laughs> data archives and that's where that map was. Um, and so that's how Luke found it. But that doesn't necessarily explain, like, how R2 suddenly wakes up at the end. I know a lot of people, you know, kind of make the the conclusion or the assumption, I guess, that it's because Ray showed up. Um, and again, I mean, that I think that's even stronger evidence that she could be Luke's daughter, that maybe uh, Luke told R2 to shut down and is like, don't wake up, don't show anybody that map until... Ray is old enough to come find me and for me to train her as a Jedi. Um, and I think that could be pretty cool, except I like if that's the case, then I wish they had actually showed Ray and R2 together. Mm. Well, actually, um, um, in the same Q&A, JJ did explain how and why R2 woke up at that moment. It was actually before that when BB-8 kind of like bumped into it trying to activate R2 and c 3 was like, you yeah, know, it's probably not going to wake oh, up. Oh, right, right. You know, yeah, I did read that. R2 did hear that, but it just kind of took a while for him to, you know, mm-hmm. boot up and to activate. And even JJ kind of admitted, yeah, it's probably a little too convenient that at the end of the movie, that's when R2 <laughs> decided to wake up. But it thought it fit the story to have a little more hopeful ending and outcome after everything that's happened after that final battle. So that's how that happened. And what I found interesting, though, was that but because of that, Luke did not send R2 with this location for him to be found later. I mean, he doesn't want to be found because R2 had that in him all along from downloading it from the Death Star. And he only woke up because of BB-8. It wasn't like Luke told him, you'll know the time is right, when to wake up or something like that. So mm-hmm. Luke was not expecting to be found until he probably felt something in the Force. And I'm sure he felt when Snoke felt it and Leia felt it, everything that happened. So he did not want to be found and come back until he felt it was right so i felt that was a revelation for me when jj said that because i kind of thought the same thing too where r2 luke gave him that map to where he was at and just wait for the right time to show everybody when he's ready to be found but that wasn't Mm -hmm. the case at all yeah but yeah well yeah because um i mean it's not like luke gave the map to r2 i mean he found it because r2 had it um and then uh but yeah i mean i still think yeah, like I said, it's a little convenient that, like, R2 kind of starts waking up when BB-8 finds him the first time, but then it's not till the end of the movie that it's like, oh, R2 just suddenly, you know, woke up from his mm. 20-year-long nap or whatever it was. <laughs> um, but, I mean, yeah, so I feel like they could have done that a little bit better. I mean, for one thing, if R2 downloaded, like, the entire archives of the Empire in A New Hope, like... 
there are any number of ways that that could have changed the the story of the original trilogy. Um, you know what I mean? Like Bothans didn't have to die for the, the to find out the information <laughs> about the second Death Star plans. R two could have known, like, hey guys, if we blow up this one, they're gonna build another one. They've already got plans for a bigger one. Um, or, you know, whatever other stuff. But, you know, I can kind of let that go because we don't know any specifics about what else was in there. But, um, I don't know. Also, see, one thing that I thought would have been really cool, um, and I was kind of expecting this to happen the first time I saw the movie, when Kylo is interrogating Rey and he's trying to sort of probe her mind and, you know, see the the piece of the map that she's seen. And he says, like, I've seen the rest of it. We found it in the archives of the Empire. I just need that one piece. And he's like, you know, he starts reading her mind and he's like, you've seen it, you know, show it to me. And then she starts fighting back and she kind of turns it on him and she can see his mind and sense his fear. I thought that she was going to basically read his mind and see the rest of the map. Um, and okay. so then, you know, once they broke her out and destroyed Starkiller Base and everything and got back to the Resistance Base, she was just going to be like, hey, BB-8, show me that piece of the map again. I've seen the rest of it and I, I'll be able to figure out where Luke is. Um, and I think that actually would have been a, a cooler – I think that would have been a more interesting way to, to have the story unfold except that – you know, we're trying to bring back all the classic characters for for nostalgia's sake and everything. I mean, having R two have the last piece of the map was basically the only reason to have him in the movie in the first place. So, yeah. <laughs> um, I think that's you know why they had that in there. Yeah, you're definitely right. They even talked about that in the Q and A also, and it was a pretty cool moment. I mean, to see R two just power down and shut off like that, uh, it was a little sad to see him like that and not knowing when he's going to come back and then when he finally did. But there was like, yeah, a lot of questioning as to far as far as how and why that did happen. And mm-hmm. while I will buy and accept the reasons that JJ gave, but you make some good points too as far as maybe what could have worked out a little better. But in the end, it's not going to really affect my viewpoint of the movie all that much when I watch it. So I think it's no yeah. harm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, all, all those complaints i just listed i mean that's uh, obviously we spent a whole lot more time on this episode talking about the stuff we liked than the yeah. stuff we didn't like <laughs> so um you know the, those complaints are are minor in the grand scheme of things i mean overall i love the movie um you know there are some ways it could have been better but i am i'm very happy with what we got um i, I think i would even go so far as to say it surpassed my expectations um, because, you know, we have talked about sort of what our hopes were for this movie. And I was like, hey, if this is, you know, my my favorite Star Wars movie of all time, great. Um, but I'm hoping it just kind of fits in with the rest of the saga. And, you know, it, it could be like right in the middle somewhere. Um, but I think for me, um, well, you know, I'll, I'll get to this in a minute. I, I was going to say, let's see if we can, you know, sort of rank it in, in our favorite Star Wars oh, movies boy. and everything. But the <laughs> one other thing I want to talk about first that we haven't really touched on yet Um what did you think of the soundtrack? The soundtrack, yeah. Initially, when I first saw that, that was another disappointment for me. And I can't really say, like, I didn't want to put that as a disappointment of the actual movie because it wasn't a plot point or a character development that would hurt any aspects of the story for me and my viewing experience. So I kind of have the soundtrack to be separate. But listening to it, it's not my favorite Star Wars soundtrack. In fact, right now, it's my least favorite Star Wars soundtrack. There was nothing really that stood out to you and was stuck in your head, especially when I first saw it. And again, was kind of the reason why I wish we got the soundtrack beforehand so I can get familiar with the themes and 
when I hear him in the actual movie, it, it'd be a little more special when I heard it, especially for the ones that I liked. But that wasn't the case. So there are some good tracks on there. I mean, Ray's theme is fantastic. The Scavenger is great. And we talked about the Jedi Steps um, leading up to the finale. That is a fantastic track and just might be one of my favorites. But overall, like especially for the action sequences, there was nothing that stood out, like, especially stuff we got in the original trilogy and A New Hope, those classic the Death Star attack we get, the TIE Fighter attack on the Millennium Falcon in A New Hope. Those themes are iconic, and they really get you more immersed into those action sequences. And even, in, again, in the prequels, the Duel of the Fates is fantastic. Battle of the Heroes is fantastic. And Episode 2, uh, Django's Escape is a fantastic track, I think, for an action sequence. So stuff like that we didn't get at all in this one. And that was a little disappointing to me. But again... Uh, soundtrack is still new. I'm still listening to it. I'll probably it'll probably grow on me because it already has. But right now, it's definitely my least favorite, and it was a little disappointing because Star Wars soundtracks there's always a lot of memorable themes that are on there, and it just this one just hasn't gotten up there yet. So yeah, disappointed with it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I would mostly agree with what you said. Although on the whole, I don't know that I would say I'm disappointed with it. Um, but I would say I, it's probably not quite as good as the other ones for me. Although I don't even know that I would say not as good, just not as memorable. Like yeah, you were saying, there, there aren't a lot of like immediately recognizable themes that stick out. And I mean, like you said, there's Ray's theme, there's the Jedi steps. Um, I mean, there's that track called the scavenger, but that basically is like a, another version of Ray's theme. Um, and then um, there's also March of the Resistance is one that I really like. Um, and that is, I think that plays when the Resistance fighters show up on uh, on Takodana and start, you know, taking out the TIE fighters and stuff. Um, but then I think they also play it again as they're getting ready for the assault on Starkiller Base. Um, so that's becoming one that's kind of standing out for me. Like, oh yeah, I can recognize this piece. This is like, you know, the, the good guys, like War March kind of thing. Um and then also uh, the track "Torn Apart," which you know, oh, of yeah, course, plays right. when uh, you know for the confrontation between Han and Ben, like it's it's not really recognizable. Like as I'm thinking about it right now, I don't even remember how it goes, but I remember that it's really good um, and that it kind of sounds a little bit similar to um, Anakin's betrayal from Revenge of the Sith, mm-hmm. like the music that plays during Order sixty six. There's just like a few notes in there where you can tell it's like a little bit similar. Um, but yeah, I mean, the soundtrack for me was definitely something I enjoyed more the second time watching the movie than the first time. Um, and I, you know, I, it's, it's hard to tell because on the one hand, I'm like, is it not as good or do I just need time to let it sink in and kind of get used to it? And then I'm also thinking, you know, there, there aren't as many like recognizable themes and stuff. And like, is it because it's just not as good or was that intentional? Like, did J.J. Abrams kind of give John Williams specific direction? Like, I want the music to be a little bit more subtle and just sort of complement the movie and not necessarily, like, stand out as much with, you know, a bunch of uh, iconic themes and stuff like that. Um, Because, I mean, honestly, like, watching the movie, I, I think the soundtrack is really good and works really well within the movie. It's just not what we're used to yeah. from a Star Wars soundtrack in terms of, like, you know, there's, there's not going to be a bunch of tracks and a bunch of themes and stuff that you're humming to yourself and that you associate with different characters and stuff. But when you watch the movie, I mean, the the music 
complements it really well. Um, and so I think it's just a slightly different style than we've had before. Um, now, that said, I mean, I still... I don't know if I would definitely say it's my least favorite Star Wars soundtrack. Like, I probably need to listen to just the soundtrack itself a couple more times, see the movie a couple more times, and just kind of get used to it. But it's certainly not my favorite. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's not something I would necessarily put on my list of negatives um, for the movie. It's just something that was different. Um, but I mean, I did still like it. And obviously there are, you know, key moments where they bring back themes from the original trilogy and it was great to hear those again. So, I mean, on the whole, I liked it. It just wasn't quite what I was expecting. Yeah. Memorable is the best word. Like you said, that it, that's why it really didn't stick out to me. And Cause it's not like there's anything that's bad on there that takes you out of the movie and you go, ah, oh, why did John Williams use that or anything? It's just not memorable. Yeah. And that's nothing against what is there, but yeah, like I said before, it, right now it's definitely on the bottom of my list of Star Wars soundtracks. Because the other one's such high standards, and I was hoping this one would mm-hmm. meet up with the with all the other six, and right now it's not. But again, that's not hopefully not going to be my final opinion on it. Maybe it will move up eventually, but that's yeah. where it's at right now. Yeah, one thing I'm really looking forward to is, um, and we talked about the, the duel between Rey and Kylo and how... You know, obviously, like we said, those are sort of Ray's first steps, um, and that there's also sort of an implication that um, Kylo Ren still has more training and more growing to do. Um, so I would love to see another fight between the two of them at the height of their power, you know, in either episodes eight or nine. And at that point, I want another like duel of the fates or battle of the heroes type track yeah. uh, to to set like this epic duel. So. Um, that would be, you know, that's, that's something to really look forward to. Um, but, uh, I, I think we've pretty much talked everything to death here. Um, I'm sure we can talk about more, but (laughs) well, there is more we can talk about. And I'm thinking we'll probably just have to save this for a separate episode because now I want to talk about, um, questions that we still have after the, you know, questions that were raised by the movie, um, things that we want to see in future movies going forward and predictions for where things might go, um, in episode eight. But obviously, like I said, we could talk for another hour or two about that. And we're already over three hours now. So I'm thinking we should start wrapping this up. Um, and we've also still got some, uh, some listener responses and stuff to get to, um, just to see what some other people thought of the movie. Um, but like I said, last question here, um, I know you said it was your least favorite soundtrack, but if you had to rank Force Awakens right now out of all your favorite Star Wars movies, where would you put it? Oh boy. (laughs) It's going to definitely right now be in the middle. Like you were saying, when I first saw it, I had it, um, number four behind Empire, New Hope, and Revenge of the Sith. And I should even say, I go back and forth with Revenge of the Sith and the New Hope <laughs> off and on. Those always alternate between two and three. So, uh, But I could see The Force Awakens maybe going in my top three, especially after the second viewing. I mean, despite the complaint I said of being too familiar to A New Hope, there is a lot of powerful stuff in this movie that I just love. That's the one word I would use to describe it. It's very powerful. There's some mm-hmm. powerful moments in there that through this perfect additions to the Star Wars saga that makes it an awesome movie and great characters and yeah, there's so many good stuff. But um, yeah, right now I'd probably still stick it as number four behind Empire, Revenge of the Sith, A New Hope, and then The Force Awakens. But again, that's right now. We'll see where it ends up next time I see it or further down the line. But I guess officially right now I'll put it as number four. 
Okay, yeah, I, I think I'm going to rank it a little... Uh, I think I'm going to rank it one spot higher um, at number three. Um, now, it's interesting. I, I've got a different overall ranking than you do because for me right now, um, I can't decide if Empire or Jedi is my favorite. Um, and it used to be that depending on my mood, like... Empire, Jedi, and Revenge of the Sith would sort of rotate for my number one spot. But right now, I'm going to say Empire and Jedi. I I guess after having watched them all again this past week, I'll I'll put Empire at number one for right now. Um, Because I still think Empire is like the best Star Wars movie overall, like start to finish. But I think um, Return of the Jedi has some more powerful moments. It's it's better in certain areas and weaker in other areas. and I feel the same way with Force Awakens. So I'm going to say Empire number one, Return of the Jedi number two, uh, then Force Awakens number three, um, and then Revenge of the Sith, then A New Hope, and then Attack of the Clones, Phantom Menace. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I feel like, um, you know, we were talking about this earlier. I think the honestly, like, I think the plot of this movie is probably its weakest point. Yeah. Um, but just the, the characters and the, uh, the writing and the dialogue and just the, the fun adventure moments and the action moments and, uh, you know, the emotional moments, um, are just so great. And I, the story is not the strongest, but it's not necessarily, I mean, it's certainly not terrible. It's, I, I wouldn't even say it's weak necessarily. Um, I would, but you know, I, I've been describing it to, to people that I talk to as, um, it's, you know, a bunch of great characters, a bunch of great moments and, uh, you know, great action scenes and emotional scenes and everything that are strung together by a plot line. That's like just good enough to hold it all together. Um, you know, if it were, you know, it certainly could be better and this movie could be like number one or two on my list. Um, it could be like, if the plot line were any weaker, it could be further down on my list. But as it is, I think everything is just holding together well enough, um, that, you know, the, the movie tells a decent story and it makes sense and everything, but just the characters and the, the adventures and everything are just so much fun. So, um, yeah, so that's where I'm going to put it for right now. Um, and also, you know, with Kylo Ren being like the best thing since sliced bread. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Almost, yeah. Bread sliced by that uh, cross guard lightsaber. Right, which would like toast your bread as you slice it. Yeah. <laughs> that would be so cool. Who needs that Darth Vader toaster anymore? <laughs> yeah. No, I, I have to say, like, I, I am so glad that I now have absolutely zero reasons to regret buying that Kylo Ren Force Effects lightsaber. Oh, I bet, yeah. Because um, <laughs> I bought it and I was like, man, this lightsaber is so cool. And then I kind of had a moment where I was like, crap, what if he's actually, like, not that good of a villain in the movie? Like, then I'm going to be stuck with this $200 lightsaber that, you know, no, you know, everybody's going to be like, oh, that wasn't even that good of a character. And I'll be like, well, at least it looks cool and it sounds cool and everything. But now after having seen the movie, like... I want to just like run around town waving this thing around proudly and being like, yeah, this guy was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and in your mask too. Yeah. Well that too, except I'm still having to, I, I might need to make some adjustments to get the mask to fit. It's pretty snug on my big head, but uh, <laughs> the man, the lightsaber is like perfect though. Nice. Um, in fact, I think after we finish this, I might just go play with the lightsaber and listen to the soundtrack. <laughs> Sounds like a good way to close out a Star Wars filled day. <laughs> yep. Um, but anyway, uh, so let's get to uh, you know some listener responses, and of course we'll get through these pretty quick because we don't have a whole lot of time to uh, um, you know 
get real in-depth on everybody's discussions. Plus, I think we've probably hit on all these points already anyways. Very but true. Uh, I'm trying to remember, there was one time we recorded an episode and I actually ran out of recording space. Like, there's a certain time limit you can record for. And so I'm like, oh, I'm hoping we don't hit that and have this cut off. Um, so far, we're so good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, we're still going. We're good. Okay. Um, but so anyway, uh, Tim, I'll let you go ahead and uh, read some of the uh, the initial reactions we got from people on Twitter on what was it, like Friday you you put that out. Mm, yeah. So yeah, our first response comes from Salik Davola. Hope I'm saying that right. It says it's a remastered version of A New Hope, but well done actually. The, the only it kills me it's that it's that die <laughs> worded a little differently, but that's what uh, Salik had to say. Um, then DJ PTV says, felt fresh while still giving sentimental nods. Didn't want it to end. Future looks to be in good hands. Then Angel Ashby said, wonderful. Brought back all those amazing feelings that we felt in the originals. Let us with plenty of questions still. Then Michael Lucero says, favorite of the series. Had character focus of classics, rich world of the prequels. Best of both worlds. Ray equals new favorite character. And then Brian says, exactly what I was expecting. Loves Ray, loves BB-8, loves Kylo Ren, and most of all, Han Solo, perhaps for the first time. And he says, uh, preliminary new ranking of the Star Wars saga based on first viewing is Empire Strikes Back, Revenge of the Sith, The Force Awakens, Return of the Jedi, A New Hope, Attack of the Clones, then The Phantom Menace. And then Sam Hoskins says, absolutely loved it, can't wait to see it again. And then Paolo Monroy says, it was absolutely amazing from start to finish. JJ knows his magic. <laughs> so pretty positive on the Twitter front, <laughs> I would say. Mm-hmm. And then on Facebook, the initial reactions um, from that day also. Um, Omar says, it was great all around. Delivered and surpassed my expectations. JJ hit it out of the park. And then Alan uh, Lebovich said, woohoo, such great action scenes. Very JJ in places. I can't wait to hear the Saga Tenues review. Well, hopefully you enjoyed our over three-hour review of it, Alan. <laughs> and then Martin says, I had a smile on my face from the opening crawl to the credits. It was so well done. I'm happy that so much of the speculation of this film is over and we actually have some new answers to our questions. There's so much to talk about without spoiling it, so it's very hard. Kylo was a scene, a scene stealer for me. It was action-packed, paced well, funny, epic, dramatic. It was Star Wars. <laughs> That's actually the best way to sum it up. It was Star Wars. And mm-hmm. I would agree with you, Martin. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and and that's where, um, I mean, that was probably, you know, one of the biggest things that I loved about it. It was just, and even though it kind of looked a little bit different and felt a little bit different in certain areas, mm-hmm. um, just in terms of, you know, the style or whatever, at the same time, it, it looked and felt very Star Wars. Um, I mean, when Ray is like, you know, just hauling her junk out of that crash star destroyer and uh, I mean, you know, the, the music and the scenery and everything, I mean, it fits so well. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and I think that's one of the things too that I think uh, I liked more about it the second time. And I think with every repeat viewing, it's just going to more and more um, kind of just like settle into that comfort zone of like, yeah, this just fits right in with all the other movies. Mm-hmm, totally and i forgot to bring this up because it just for some reason popped into my head right now but it wasn't a big moment but one of my favorite moments where i got a big smile on my face when kylo ren mentioned the clone army to hug oh, like, yeah. saying how maybe we should go back to that oh that was so awesome yeah that was a great nod as well yep 
Um, and again, yeah, I, I liked sort of the banter between those two where they're always, you know, trading jabs like, well, your men are certainly good at being traitors. Maybe Snoke should consider using a clone army. Yeah. <laughs> and I was probably expect to hear a lot more of that bickering in the episode eight, considering what happened to both of them at the end of this movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, nice scar on your face, General. Oh, nice. Or, you know, oh, nice scar on your face there, Kylo Ren. Oh, yeah. Nice blown up planet there, uh, General. Hux. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And Snoke's all like, shut up the both of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, so that was uh, from the first day. And then I'm trying to find the other ones that I put out um, today. Um, but, yeah, I, I you know asked you guys for more comments. I said you could uh, talk spoilers on this one because it had been a couple more days. Um, but Tony Figgs said, love the movie so much. Ray's character, along with her theme of the score by John Williams, grabbed me so much, just like the OT did when I was eight years old. Uh, favorite line when Ray tells Ren he's afraid and will never be as strong as Vader was. Um, yeah. And like we said, that was, uh, such a great moment. Um, and then also, uh, Omar De La Torre says the flashback scene and what it possibly means for episode eight. Um, yeah. And again, lots of, uh, of possible, repercussions there um and like i said i think we'll have to do just another episode talking about um you know speculation for episode eight not even based on like rumors and stuff but just uh sort of our initial um thoughts going forward after seeing episode seven and you know what do we think the future is going to hold um and then uh sharoni noni says uh, i think i speak for the entire han and leia fan base when i say that we are all devastated that de- the decision was made to split them up in this movie at the very least the acting made it believable that these characters uh very much still loved each other deeply but having them separated really does not add anything of value to the story there was absolutely no closure for their characters and definitely no closure for their fans considering they barely had a moment to reconcile before han was killed by the hands of his son utterly crushed I love Star Wars for many reasons, but growing up, watching these two characters develop together, both on screen and in books, was an escape from the realities of life's harshness. In The Force Awakens, there was no escape, just tragedy. Um, Now, I don't know if I'd completely agree with that, because it ended in tragedy, but I think there was some fun escapism in it before that, at least for Han, maybe not so much for Leia, but... um, And, I mean, I can get how that could be a disappointment, like, if Han and Leia is, like, your favorite pairing of characters... um, but at the same time, I mean, you know, we talked about this at length before, but um, I mean, I think in the, in one sense that just sort of reflects real life, like that happens to people. Um, and I think, I, you know, I, I was at least happy that we got to see them together again and that, uh, you know, you could still see there was a very strong connection there, regardless of what had happened in the past 30 years or whatever. Um, and again, it, if um, she had that reaction to it, I'm sure that's what <laughs> JJ and everybody involved with the movie wanted you to feel. I mean to be yeah. that devastated for it. and they did their job and yeah especially if that was your favorite aspect of star wars that's got to be awful for you to experience it so i totally get how she would feel that way but at the same time too yeah i think but it just elevates the star wars saga again to more dramatic elements that i just love about it the tragedy that happens but then you know there's going to be hopefulness to it and good to come out of it also so yeah and i it does serve the story in a way because that I mean, that's where I didn't agree with where it said that it didn't really serve the story, but, um, or add any value to the story, I believe what she said. But that's what set Kylo Ren fully into the dark side. That's the last thing he needed to get rid of the light. So 
Han dying is really is what's going to set Kylo Ren off the path mm-hmm. to the dark side that we're going to see in episode eight and nine. So there is definitely value to it, as rough as it was, though. But that's what Kylo Ren needed to do and to become the villain he will be and the foe that Ray's going to have to go up against later. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I think what she was saying was that um, not necessarily Han being killed off, but the fact that he and Leia had been separated for, for most of the past 30 years was that that didn't add much of value to the story. But even there, I think, okay. I, I think for one thing, it adds to just show the passage of time. Um, you know, obviously, even though this is the the movie in the saga that is directly succeeding episode six, like it's, you know, there's a 30 year gap in there. Um, and, um, you know, they, they, I think they, there are certain things that they did just to show that time had passed. And I think mm-hmm. if Han and Leia were you know 30 years older, but in the exact same uh, state in their relationship that they had been at the end of return of the Jedi, it wouldn't have necessarily felt real. Um, you know, like it's, there are other ways they could have taken it. They still could have been together, but had, you know, a different dynamic or whatever. Um, but I think this was just one of the ways to show that, you know, that time had passed, that their characters had changed, that things had happened. Um, and especially, like I said, given what had happened with their son, like that was obviously something big and traumatic and something that kind of drove a wedge between them, um, which is completely understandable. Um, you know, if you're in love with someone and having a, a relatively you know happy and peaceful life, and then you have a son and he goes off and murders a bunch of people, uh, you know, I, obviously I can't relate to that, thankfully. So I don't know how easy or hard it would be to, to stay in love with that person, but it would obviously change the whole dynamic of your relationship and, you know, really be a big shakeup in your life. So, um, yeah, I, I didn't necessarily have a problem with that. Um, but then also, uh, Sarah Pardis says the movie was very good, but like Sharoni, I was very disappointed that they gave Han and Leia miserable interim lives. And then Han died by the hand of their son. It was disrespectful to the original trilogy fans who were there when the movie played in theaters. I was one of those fans. Han and Leia were the best thing about the trilogy for me. And probably the only thing that kept my interest in it. And I'm not supposed to see the second movie. Um, I don't know if that's a question like they're telling you not to see the second movie i don't know like even if i were disappointed by that i'd still definitely be going to see the second movie but um i don't know i mean i i guess like i said i can see how that would be disappointing for for some fans if han and leia were your favorite characters yeah um i mean i was always like i like those characters for sure but my my biggest interest in the original trilogy was always more in the dynamic between Luke and Vader and Palpatine and, uh, you know, Obi-Wan and the Jedi and the whole light side, dark side, that whole aspect of it. Um, yeah. And again, that, <laughs> that's the beauty of star Wars. How so many people can grab on to many different aspects of it. Cause I'm with you. That's what my favorite aspect of it. The whole force, the light side, the dark side, Luke's and the Skywalker family legacy and that, uh, conflict that they have that's what draws me into star wars the most but then again there's people here who draw into the han and leia relationship which is awesome that they get that invested into it and i'm sure there's other fans who grab onto other aspects of star wars that are out there which again just makes it <laughs> so special so mm-hmm. yeah that's the great thing about star wars and yeah i'm kind of with you where the whole thing with han and leia i bought into it and i thought it was like we talked about before just a I thought a convincing and realistic way of how their relationship would be 30 years after Return of the Jedi. So, well, yeah, I can understand the disappointments for some fans and especially <laughs> knowing what happens to Han. Yeah, that's probably exactly what JJ and Lucasfilm were hoping for when they saw that moment. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the biggest thing for me is I think they did. I, I think they did the characters justice on screen. 
Um, I, I think if, uh, you know, if, if Han had showed up and then somebody mentioned Leia and he was like, oh yeah, I'm not talking to her anymore. Um, you know, we don't see each other. And I mean, I guess he does kind of say that when Maz Kanata suggests that he be the one to, to go deliver BB-8 to the resistance. Um, but then, you know, of course they do come face to face and, um, you see that, you know, despite the, all that they've been through, they still care for each other. And like I said, just watching them on screen together, it does kind of feel like they pick up right where they left off. So regardless of the backstory that happened in the 30 years prior, um, I think the, the relationship that they share on screen in this movie and, you know, the chemistry between Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher, it's there like it's always been. So I thought that was great to see again. Mm, Yeah, totally agree with you. Um, But yeah, so uh, thank you guys for chiming in. I don't think there was any other, uh, any other responses or anything that I missed. Did I? Actually, there was um, one more from Twitter from uh, Tom McClellan who says, Oh, right. (laughs) He goes, I cannot love a human baby the way I love this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Which I guess that definitely shows how much you love it, Tom. And that's awesome (laughs) that you love it that much. And then also we got a late comment. On Facebook from Alan Lebovich again, who says um, he's seen it twice and is still processing it. He said there's some slow parts, but some seem like a video game. But overall, a great ride. Noticed interesting parallels to Rebels in terms of moments that Ray had paralleling. Er, <laughs> can't even finish that sentence. Paralleling Ezra and Kanan. So that's interesting because I didn't necessarily get any parallel or draw any parallels between those characters yet. But maybe if I think about it, <laughs> there would be some because I'm sure. The whole Ezra thing with his parents and Ray not having her parents there, I could see that connection there. But even though it kind of leads them on to different paths, because we know what happened to Ezra's, but yet we still don't know mm. for sure anyway whose Ray's parents are. Well, you know, I can kind of see that in a way, not necessarily with the parents and the, those kind of relationships, but with um, even some of the younger characters like Ezra and Ahsoka, like in Clone Wars and Rebels and stuff. Um, they have certain moments where they'll do like some really powerful um, force kind of stuff, especially Ezra, because, you know, Ahsoka was trained as a Jedi and all that, but like the moment in, um, oh, what's the episode where Ezra is fighting the, the grand inquisitor and, uh, you know, summons like the big, huge beast thing. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. And it's like, um, you know, you wouldn't think he'd be that powerful, but in this moment of desperation, he kind of like sinks into the force and, and, you know, does something beyond what he even knows he's capable of and i think you you see that with ray somewhat in this movie just in terms of um you know the way she's able to use the force with very minimal training and stuff like that mm-hmm. yeah that's that's a good callback too yeah at least from um, the force aspect of things <laughs> yeah yeah for sure um, but anyway, yeah, so thank you guys for chiming in with your comments i'm I'm glad to see that everybody's enjoying the movie so much um and like I said, I mean, on the one hand, I should just be glad that I liked the movie and you know not really care what other people thought of it, <laughs> but at the same time, I am very happy that we won't have to put up with another ten or fifteen years of people bickering and complaining about and you know criticizing these movies and stuff and I mean, to be fair. I'm not saying that prequel haters are like stupid, ignorant people because the prequels are flawed movies and um, I think they have a lot of flaws and I think they also have a lot of uh, great ideas, some of which, uh, you know, are are easy to see and some of which you have to dig a little bit deeper to see, uh, you know, some of the potential great storylines and stuff that could be there. And so, um, 
you know, some people see more of one than the other. And, you know, some of us really love the prequels. Some people really hate it. And some people, uh, you know, like certain parts and dislike certain parts. Um, but it, it's great to see that at least right off the bat, um, there's so much more universal love and acclaim for, for the force awakens. And I think they really just did a great job and knocked it out of the park. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing where they take the story from here because now that they've established these great characters and, uh, you know, just sort of brought us back into the universe, kind of got people on board with the uh, the original trilogy, nostalgia and everything, um, I really would love to see some more ambitious storytelling and kind of some more new stuff in Episode Eight going forward and not, you know, like we said, not quite so many, uh, you know, repeated story beats from the originals and stuff like that. Um, but for now, I, I am very happy with what we got. Um, like I said, I don't think this is the best Star Wars movie. It's certainly not the most ambitious story-wise or anything, but it is a, a Star Wars movie through and through and a very good one at that. Yep. Star Wars is back, and how awesome is that? I mean, yeah. this is what we've been waiting for three years ago for this very moment this week for when a new Star Wars movie would come out, and we got it, and it was awesome for the most part, and we got so much great stuff to look forward to in the next few years. I mean... Uh, there was someone sitting behind me when I saw it for the first time like oh I gotta wait three more years to see episode 8 and find out what happens next and I was like nope that's the old uh, way of Star Wars we got a new movie next year <laughs> but yeah. and the wait for episode 8 is even shorter you only got a year and a half to exactly. wait exactly <laughs> so. and honestly I've been seeing people like I mean just with the, the, the questions that are raised in episode 7 and as much as I love these characters and want to see more of them and everything um I've been seeing people already posting countdowns to Rogue One, and this might sound weird, but I'm like, honestly, I don't care. I want to see what the <laughs> countdown is to Episode 8. Um, like, I'm going to go see Rogue One, and I'm going to enjoy it, but after seeing Episode 7, I could care less about the Rebels who stole the Death Star plans. I need to see more of Rey and Kylo Ren. I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah, that sounds awful, a Star Wars fan, but I get it. But what you got to view it as... Rogue One is just a bonus that we're getting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Episode. And again, it's it's not that I really don't care about it. Yeah, um, I know what you mean. But I it's know. just, you know, people are posting, you know, like if you're going to count down the days to something this far ahead of time, I'm like, Rogue One will get here when it gets here and I'll see it and I'll enjoy it. But I want a continuation to this story. Like, that's what I'm excited for the most after, you know, immediately after having seen episode seven. Yep. Well, the new era of Star Wars is here, and it got off to a great start. So, yes, yep. their and journey to it was fun, but now the real fun is beginning. Now that yeah. we've seen the first part of it, oh, yeah. And, and I'm glad now that we can say we're not lying in our intro when it says the future is bright indeed. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Um, um, well, anyway, that is going to wrap up our three and a half hour long review episode of Star Wars The Force Awakens. I think this might be our longest episode ever. And uh, I mean, it can't it's appropriate. Be, it, yeah. Exactly. You can't have it any other way. It's perfectly fitting. Um, so. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, I, I'm sure we certainly didn't leave out. You know, we I feel like we left no stone unturned. Um, <laughs> I'm sure we did, though. <laughs> We're going to go back and, oh, we forgot this one little thing. Well, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, we'll watch it again and be like, oh, we need to, uh, you know, we forgot to mention this. But, hey, we've got to have something to talk about between now and when Rogue One comes out. Exactly. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like I said, thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, 
I hope you're all enjoying the movie as much as we are. I hope you enjoyed our thoughts and reactions to it. Um, as always, you can uh, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, uh, facebook.com slash Star Wars The Saga Continues, and twitter.com, sl- or on Twitter, we're at Star Wars TSC. Um, I don't know what the actual Twitter address is because nobody ever uses those for Twitter. You just find the the handle or hashtag or whatever. Um, You can also uh, check out our website, StarWarsTSC.com, to find all the latest uh, news updates and rumors and stuff on these new Star Wars movies as they're coming out. Um, It's funny because we haven't even heard a whole lot of rumors and speculation about these new ones lately because it's just been so focused on episode seven but i'm sure it won't be too long before we start hearing more stuff about uh you know rogue one and episode eight and all those especially because i think uh episode eight is supposed to start filming uh principal photography like pretty early on in uh, the new year so Um, bring on the set photos (laughs) yeah exactly um so of course we'll be back to talking about all that but i wouldn't be surprised if we have you know another one or two more episodes in us just talking about uh the force awakens some more before that um but, uh, yeah, and I think I said already, if you want to send us email, you can email us at uh, starwarstsc at gmail.com uh, to share more of your thoughts, comments, questions, whatever. Uh, we love hearing from you guys and uh, talking Star Wars with you. Um, so thanks for listening. Thanks for, for all your thoughts and reactions. Um, enjoy seeing The Force Awakens again and again. Uh, we will catch you guys next time, and may The Force be with you. See you next time, everybody.